We should come up with a little rap, a little minimalist rap. <sighs> we are the minimalists, and we're here to say, here's our two cents. Take it or leave it. Uh, something that rhymes with say. <laughs> There's so much that rhymes with say. You can't think. <laughs> it's not like orange. <laughs> <laughs> we are the minimalists, and here's our orange. <laughs> Go ahead and clear out all of your storage. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hey, y'all, some exciting news before we dive into this episode. The Minimalists are going to host a private podcast and live stream exclusively for our Patreon supporters. We're calling this Ask the Minimalists Anything. Anyone who contributes $2 or more over at our Patreon page can attend this special live stream. And if you can't make the live stream itself, the live session, the live podcast, don't worry. You'll still have access to the private video and the private audio podcast after it's recorded. We hope to do this at least once a quarter, maybe more frequently for our Patreon supporters. And please note that none of the money from our Patreon campaign goes to our personal bank accounts. Rather, what we're going to do is use these funds to build our own new podcast studio and a film studio, which is going to allow us to do a bunch of really cool things like take live callers on the air, improve overall audio quality, and bring guests on the show. We're also going to hire a full-time filmmaker to create a video version of this podcast. And we also want to produce a bunch of other meaningful video creations like web series, TV shows, interviews, documentaries, video essays, and more. And because we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements, Patreon really is the best way for us to fund these creative endeavors together. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to help? If so, please become a patron today. Head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalists, or you can go to our website. It's just theminimalists.com and click on the donate button at the top. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And please know that your support is greatly appreciated. Together, we will create something meaningful. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists, and we are back. We are back. Well, we haven't gone anywhere for you all. You're still getting your your weekly episodes. We've been on the road, and hopefully you're enjoying those. It's been a whole lot of fun. We're halfway through the Less Is Now tour. We'll talk about that in a moment. But welcome to episode number 91. Today, we're specifically going to talk about nostalgia. And I wrote an essay recently, Ryan, about nostalgia, and we already had a bunch of questions about nostalgia. So Sean picked out, uh, podcast Sean here, he picked out our the three, the three best questions, and we're going to answer some of those today. But first, we're going to move our right here, right now segment to the beginning because we're, we're adding a new segment to the podcast that was recommended by our friend Malcolm Fontier. It's called Weightlifting with the Minimalists, and we'll get to that in... Well, toward the end of, of this podcast, but because it's been such a long time, Ryan, we have a lot to talk about. We we've been yeah, we've been doing a lot of things. You've been 
You've been in Germany? Yes, it was awesome. Yeah, man. You spent like a, almost a month over there. Um, Yeah, we got there on July 9th and came back on the 29th. So it was just about uh, three weeks. And it was worth it, man. It was so you cool. You were all over the place over there. You even hosted a little tweet up. I did, yeah. I wanted to do one in Munich, but I did not find the time. But uh, Mariah and I, we were in Berlin for like four or five days. And uh, first off, Berlin is like... It's one of the grungiest cities I've ever been to, but it's also like super clean, if that makes Weird. any sense. No, it like, doesn't. Like, that um, seems like a paradox. Well, it's like uh, all the buildings are mismatched. Like there's there's no real cookie cutter anything about Berlin. Uh-huh. We're like in Munich. It's it's like you're you don't know if you should like walk on the streets or not. Like everything's so it's fancy German engineering. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so like all the buildings are mismatched. There's a ton of spray paint everywhere, but it's done well. It's not like, you know, a lame picture of like, you know, cartoon boobs. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like actual, like people take their spray painting seriously over it's, there. It's, and, like, it's, it's an art, art for them. Yeah, it really yeah. is, man. Um, unless, to, it, unless you own like, the building, then you don't feel like it's art. Right. If someone comes along and paints a mural on your I meant to look house. for some Banksy's over there. I'm sure there are some. I didn't, I didn't have time to really... It took me two days to get over the jet lag. Jet lag is, I hate it, man. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. No, dude, it's like, I I always try to do mind over body. Mm-hmm. So like, I will stay I up. I try to the, do body over mind. <laughs> I will stay up. Uh, I'll stay up on the plane right over there. Yeah. And um, stay up all the way until like nine, ten o'clock and then go to sleep and like try to get over the jet lag that way. Yeah. And like, doesn't work. It, uh, yeah, I mean, it works better than. I, I remember the first. Well, the PM. first time I ever experienced this when we went to London. Oh my goodness, it was great though for me. <clears throat> do, do you remember? We, so we were staying at this Airbnb, and we this was in, on tour October of 2014. Is it that the time in London you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was so, the worst. For, that's when I like fell asleep as soon as like I slept on the plane, fell asleep as soon as we got there. I forget what time it was, but it screwed me up. It it helped me because. For whatever reason, like I had gone over 24 hours without sleeping uh, because I did try to stay up on the plane and all that. And then it was really hard to get to our Airbnb for some reason. Yeah. And, and we had all kinds of issues with the rental car and um, we were driving on the wrong side of the road. And <laughs> <laughs> it was a stick shift. Uh, anyway, um, you know, we got to this Airbnb and it was like 2 p.m. And I'm like, I'm just going to take a, a midday nap. Mm. I woke up at 11 a.m. the next day. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it, right. You did See, if I could do that, man, maybe that would help. It was so good. Australia was bad, too, though. I don't know if you remember that. It wasn't that bad for me. Going to Melbourne. Had, or I, Brisbane is where we flew into. Yeah, we, we, we started in Brisbane. But anyway, uh, and oh, by the way, we've got some good news on Australia. So since we're already on right here right now, our book, Minimalism, uh, Live a Meaningful Life, uh, which was our first book that came out in the States and has been translated to... I don't know, close to a dozen languages now. It's now translated to Australian. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, No, it came out in Australia because, you know, they don't they don't have Amazon over there. And so um, they uh, Hachette uh, approached us. They're one of the biggest publishers in the world. And usually we, we do everything independently, but it's really difficult to to publish something independently in Australia. So they reached out to us and wanted to team up and. Uh, the great news is our book it was number two for two weeks in a row. Uh, it still is number number two from last time I heard. 
um, in all of Australia in nonfiction. It's unbelievable, man. And so um, Mark Manson's book is still number one, which, I mean, it's a, a, a runaway bestseller, but it's been number two for several weeks there. And so I just want to say thanks to all the folks in Australia who've picked up minimalism, uh, picked up the uh, the hard copy of that in all of your, your local bookstores or airport or wherever you're finding it. And because it's doing so well in the coming weeks, we want you to stay tuned. We're going to be announcing some tour stops in Australia. In New Zealand. And New Zealand. I yes, I've indeed. never been in New Zealand, man. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. So uh, we're going to do at least four tour stops over in your neck of the woods. If you're on our email list over at theminimalists.com, you'll be the first to hear about new tour stops before anyone else. Uh, also, our uh, Patreon supporters get an email before anyone else as well because they, they get first access to, to any of the tickets before they actually go live to, to the general public. And so that's over at patreon.com slash theminimalists. But thank you so much, Australia, New Zealand. Also, it's available in Singapore, that whole the whole area over there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Hachette is, is doing a great job getting, getting the word out. And we're going to be visiting your neck of the woods early 2018. Stay tuned for yeah. details on that. So anyway, you're over in, in Germany. Oh, yeah, back to Germany. No, it was and, great, man. And you were jet lagged. But jet lagged, finally got over it. And then when I got over it, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this meetup in Berlin. I, I, you know, on the podcast, I said I would definitely do something in Berlin. So I sent a tweet out the day before the event at like noon. Yeah. Sent it out that night, another tweet, just a reminder. And then I think maybe a third tweet the next day. Just from your personal account? Yeah. And I did this on Instagram as well. And I was shocked, man. Like 10, 15 people showed up. I mean, just from a few tweets in yeah. Berlin. It was, it, it was kind of cool. And, you know, Josh, like our audience... Are, they're like the kindest people, man. I know it is un- like I am. I feel so good like when we are, uh, you know, in anywhere, any city, in a venue, and everyone gets up to leave, and like there's not trash everywhere. Yeah, they're, like it's usually pretty clean. Yeah, and, and there'll be a few exceptions, but yeah, usually, of course, usually it's the people that were dragged to the event, <laughs> right? Like, Screw these minimal. But it guys. just blows my popcorn on the floor. It just blows my mind, man. Like how how awesome our audience is, man. Um, so anyway, like 10, 15 people showed up, um, got some really, uh, cool perspectives, um, just from, you know, people living in different places in Germany, but also like there was a gal from Poland there. Uh, there was a guy from Denver there who married a gal from, I forget what country. And like, they ended up in Berlin. They Mm. just had a baby. Um, but yeah, it was really, really cool. And then the coffee shop owner, I think it's called nano coffee is where I was. Um, so if you're in Berlin and you haven't tried Nano Coffee, it's freaking delicious. Um, but the owner there, man, he was so nice. Like I went there and just started talking to him about how awesome his coffee shop was and how I appreciated the very short menu that he had. Mm. And he well started, curated. Yeah, and he was telling me he was like, man, it was really hard for me to get business at first because people would come in and they wanted like the caramel macchiato right right. and i was like did you just tell him to go to starbucks and he laughed and he's like no i didn't tell him to do that he's like but you know people were upset we didn't have the flavored drinks sure we we, we've been trained uh one particular way and because of marketing and branding is, is very effective yeah uh these advertisements are very effective to to 
increase our desire for something we didn't even know we desired. Have you ever had a caramel macchiato? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, they I are used to so be a fat bastard. They are so good though, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cuz all the sugar. <laughs> right, right. It's well, it's a it's a giant milkshake that's yeah, heated with a little coffee in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a no, giant it's coffee so milkshake. So I I was explaining to him. I was like, "Dude, we have a um a coffee shop in St. Petersburg, Florida." Right. And I was like, we try to keep the menu pretty simple down there. I was like, but we get the same exact thing. And then, you know, someone leaves us a crappy one-star review. They didn't have caramel macchiatos. It's right, like, right. but, it's like, but well, we have compensated for that. We, we do this bourbon vanilla. Um, yeah. Syrup that is, that, that is done in house. Sarah makes it, um, who, who she's one of the owners of the coffee shop mm-hmm. and, and it's done with intention and it's sort of kept behind the counter and, and we offer it to people who want that as an alternative. Yes. But we, what we try to do is educate people on, and man, it's difficult when, when people are trained to do something one way and they're trained to expect one thing, that re-education process is to show them, Hey, that's, that is a way, but there is not only a different way, but a better way to do it. And, and I think in, in a way that's kind of what we do with, with minimalism. We're not saying you can't, yeah, I think the the standard American uh, dream of the the big house and and the picket fence and the three car garage, the the four extra bedrooms, the two point six kids, right, right, like that's the caramel macchiato of of living, right, right. Like that's one way to do it, but but there might be a better way to do it than following the same exact template that you've been told. Mm. Now, many of those ingredients might work. I have friends like it's Eva and Leo who have six kids. And, and that's great for them. It works really well for them. Personally, I choose not to have six kids, right? <laughs> and, and so I think, I think it's important to realize that you can have, you know, a little bit of simple syrup or you can have your coffee black as well. You know, I, I, my, my, my life, it tends to be more of a black coffee kind of life. Get down to the essence of it. Decoct life down to its, its most essential parts so you can really enjoy the flavor of the thing. But mm. you can also add, you can, you can add things deliberately and still make it a delicious drink or a delicious life yeah right and so speaking of of the coffee shop but one of the co-owners uh joshua weaver who does a lot of photography for us he was just in town uh this past week we were here in missoula where it is it looks post-apocalyptic right now i mean it's so bad i walked out this morning i was like it still smells like campfire it smells like my house is on fire yeah and so, so for those of you unfamiliar, uh, this time of year, usually later than now, it's usually like September, it, it, the forest fires start, you know, lightning hits yeah. somewhere, it gets kind of dry and, and we have to start contending with forest fires. Well, the worst fires in the country right now are in Western Montana, which is where we are specifically around Missoula. There's something like 13 fires, five of which are around Missoula in every direction. It's crazy. So it looks like a really bad 2010 Instagram filter uh, <laughs> everywhere you go. In fact, we used to have mountains here, and now it looks like there is a mirage of mountains. Oh my God. <laughs> David Copperfield made him disappear. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah. so half the state is on fire, and um, we're, we're dude, trying it's cra- to stay It makes it hard inside. to like. To breathe. What, yeah, man. Like, yeah. So I apologize in advance if I'm coughing or if my voice sounds a little, uh, yeah, a little little uh, what, what extra, tired, raspy. extra raspy yeah i don't know what i'm looking for but yeah it's because of the smoke it is it is it does make it uh, a little crazy so it's funny i don't know what i'd rather have man like what well because i was just thinking no matter where you live you're gonna have to put up with something 
Yeah. Like if Unless it is, it's Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, right. But even there, like the joke is like the state bird is, you know, big airplane with <laughs> water coming out of it. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, they still have to deal with forest forest fires over there, but yeah, I don't know what I'd rather deal with, like a lot of rain. Um, when it's, when it's dry and not on fire, it's great out here. But then right. the problem is it gets dry and it catches fire real easy. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's really bad for us right now. Like I I, I don't spend time outside like I'd like to right now. Just right. because I mean we even did the photos. So Joshua Weaver came out. We we're doing some photos for the podcast to help promote the podcast, but also uh, to uh, promote the second half of this Less Is Now tour. Yeah, mm-hmm. get some images so we can we can share that online and he came out here and we're like we can't even do like the beautiful outdoor shots because a we can't stay outside very long right now and b like you don't get that same beauty when the mountains are missing from from the landscape and so um he came out and then yesterday um we had jake the producer from nightline come out and so he's he's going to be joining us in in uh Brooklyn and, and Manhattan, most likely, when we're out there in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some news on that as well. So our Brooklyn stop sold out. Our Manhattan stop, there's probably like literally a handful of tickets, like five or six tickets left in, in Manhattan right now. It was actually sold out, but we released some of the, the comp tickets we had Dude, left is, over. It just blows my mind like how far we've come. Man. Can you remember the first time we were in New York? Yeah, yeah we had a, a, our first tour stop in New York City was in Queens. Oh my! How many people showed up? Like twenty-five people, maybe. Maybe, maybe, and, and that was our biggest tour stop. Right. I mean, it was unbelievable. I and now we're selling out two Brooklyn shows. Yeah, we have a third show. one. So, so we have we have, we have a third New York show. We just added one. Uh, we have twenty-two dates, I believe. Twenty-two dates. We're going to be uh, throughout the United States and Canada. We're actually starting in, in Canada at the end of end of August. Let me pull this up real quick. Uh, go to lessisnow.com for all the information. But we're starting in Toronto. That sold out, and we just got a way bigger theater. That one is close to selling out. Ottawa, Montreal, we're going to be in, in both of those cities. I think those will sell out. Uh, there's still maybe 100 or so tickets left in, in both cities. Vancouver as well. So we're hitting the West Coast up. Calgary and Edmonton. We have some of the, we, we've done more tour stops in Calgary and Edmonton than just about anywhere else. Because, really? Yeah. I mean, That's it, like right there. Yeah, it's it's just north of, of where we are. Yeah. And uh, Edmonton, by the time this comes out, might be sold out. There might be a, a, a few a few tickets left. Uh, Calgary, there's less than 20 tickets left in, in Calgary. And then uh, after Canada, after those six stops in Canada, we're headed over to New York City. we got three stops there, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and then Brooklyn. That second Brooklyn is sold out. That's why we added that that first show on september 20th we also have a stop in philadelphia in between those so we'll make the quick jaunt over to philadelphia and then uh, we're hanging out for nightline as well they did a house tour they came out here and did a house tour at ryan's house and they did a house tour at uh uh, my house and Bex was there. She made us all dinner, and it was it was, it was a lot of great, fun. man. I'm, I'm really Dude, Bex is such a good cook. Oh my god, that food was so good last night. Yeah, she she so all the stuff she made last night uh, are recipes from minimalwellness.com. Her, yeah, she her had website. some salmon, some Ella burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Ella used to get so mad uh, <laughs> because I would call Ella uh, I would call elk steaks. So you can get elk out here. You know, there are a lot pretty of easily yeah. hunters who will trade you something for elk meat right and so we had ella burgers last elk burgers and i used to call them ella burgers she'd get so mad but then then she just says she, she came to terms it's some other girl named ella that we're eating <laughs> and she's totally fine with that yeah dude she, when i was like oh i have an ella burger she's like 
Oh yeah, I'll have an Ella burger too. <laughs> yeah. That's a different Ella. <laughs> her uh, her Twitter keeps getting funnier and funnier. It's at Ella Sandwich, by the way, if you want to <laughs> follow chocolate her. Makes me want to eat more chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that was the one the other day. Oh, this chocolate makes me want to eat more chocolate. Oh, she's adorable, man. Yeah, yeah. This this uh, our last night we were after you left, we were playing Buck and Broncos. Like we just got in the grass in the backyard and like we were pretending to be these buck because the fair is going on right now in missoula so we're yeah. we're playing bucking broncos with her and uh she's like i will never ever fall off a bucking bronco so <laughs> she'll continue to yeah it's this really the way we catalog her childhood is not a scrapbook it's just one pithy one 140 at characters <clears throat> at a time i'll never fall off a, bro- a bucking bronco yeah at ella sandwich did you take her to the fair uh she's going tonight actually oh cool yeah yeah so um did you see that crazy fair accident in ohio i heard like several people either got injured or died yeah it was it was terrible but it's like watching that i'm like and i don't want to ride any more fair rides no i i I wouldn't like i went on those those rides but she's going tonight because of the buck and broncos are tonight you know that reminds me i don't think i've told our audience yet but i went skydiving holy moly you did yeah man that was uh (laughs) Like the beginning of July. You're trying to convince me to do it, but my term life insurance just lapsed. And so I'm trying to go get a new policy right. this year. And um, I, uh, I I can't afford to go skydiving. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, it was it was awesome, man. I'll talk I'll talk more about that later. We don't, well, I, I, don't, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to no, derail we're in the middle. We're in the middle of these tour dates, but we can pause them and let's talk about skydiving, man. No, it was... You and Mariah went, right? Yeah, so... Um, my buddy, uh, Brian, who I, he, I've known him as, as long as I've known you, his brother was my dad's business partner growing up. Um, he came out with his, well, now it's his fiance. He, he proposed to her when, when, uh, when they were out here, that was kind of cool. Um, but anyway, we were up in whitefish yeah, tr- checking out glacier mm. and we're trying to figure like we're at this hotel and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do the next day. Right. So we were thinking about like, you know, maybe whitewater rafting or zip lining. Right. And then um, the... Let me ask you this real quick. Is zip lining more dangerous than skydiving? It feels to me like Uh, it might be. I don't... I don't... I'd have to look up the statistics. It doesn't feel more dangerous. Skydiving feels more dangerous for sure. I'm sure it feels more dangerous. I'm just like, like... I know driving a car is way more dangerous than an airplane than but flying in an airplane. Driving a car is more dangerous than skydiving. I mean, I mean statistically is more that true. Yeah, more deaths happen in car per crash. capita. Yeah, per capita than skydiving. Really? Yeah, I'd have to. I mean, I'd have to look up the data, but I heard that one time. That's shocking to me, but yeah. I I'll believe you. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I might be wrong on that. If I am, then tweet me at Ryan Nicodemus and make fun of me for being wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, so. The the uh, concierge, am I saying that right? Yeah, she was like I think it's concierge. Concierge. Yeah, yeah, perfect. She was like, oh, I also just got these skydiving pamphlets. Someone just dropped them off yesterday. Oh no! And Brian's eyes got really, really big. Like this is the opening scene to a horror film. He's like, yeah, man, let's go skydiving. And I'm like, I thought Mariah was not going to do it. Right. So I'm like, okay. I was like, I got to yeah, talk I to. I thought Mar- she was smarter than that too. I was like, I got to talk to Mariah about it. I was like, uh, but if she's down, I was like, I'd be down. So um, we go back to the hotel, uh, the hotel room, and the girls are in there, and we're like, so what do you think about skydiving? And I'm totally expecting Mariah 
to be like, no, why don't we like go whitewater rafting? So like she was my total scapegoat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, and she was how like, how about we go look at butterflies? Right. And she's like, okay. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no. No. You're supposed to say no. <laughs> and uh, well, <clears throat> you know what, man? When she said yes, though, like I really wanted to support that because ever since we've been in that accident, uh, January 2014. Where you almost died. The car almost flipped died. over. Yes. Like the she, week before we went out on tour. Yeah, she's got some like, she's had some like just problems with being nervous when it comes to, I'm trying to think like what we've done that she was really nervous about. Um, Like hiking, uh, mountain biking. Like now, you know, like if we go mountain biking, you know, I'm like barreling down the hill. Right. And she's like really taking her time with it. Yeah. Um, There are a couple other things where she's just a little hesitant. Uh, If we're uh, out on the water, on um we had a jet ski uh it was like our neighbors um the 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 cabin we were at it was like a friend of a friend's cabin they let us use it their neighbors had a jet ski that they let us borrow yeah and go on and i was like or it was a wave runner not a jet ski and what's the difference she was like slow down uh a jet ski like you start off with with like laying down and then oh. you eventually stand up and you go. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. like, with a wa- wave runner, you just sit on it and go. Which it's, one's the key to happiness? It's much easier. <laughs> Neither. Oh. <laughs> Josh, I'll hand you a mirror and show you the key to happiness. Oh. <laughs> mirror is the key to happiness? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are you, Drake? <laughs> <laughs> we need about a thousand more mirrors in here. No. Um, so, long story short, like, she has been really, really nervous ever since. The car accident. Yeah. So for her to want to go skydiving, I was like so proud of her. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Like she is, I know that she's scared as hell, Mm -hmm. but she's going to like face this fear head on and she's going to go skydiving. So like, I didn't want to talk her out of it because I thought maybe this would help her, you know, kind of push through that, that nervousness that she's been feeling. Sure. And dude, I got to say like, everything's everything's okay until like that door opens uh, and like you stick your legs out and like the wind is just like, you can't keep them together. They're just like flailing everywhere. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm gonna, I'm going to jump out of this plane. And then like, and, and it was tandem. So you're, you know, we're attached to an instructor mm. and then like they push you out, mm. dude, there is not, there's no words to describe it, man. The free fall is just, well, first off, this was the best view I have ever seen of Glacier National Park. I can only imagine. Like that that was in its on its own was like just amazing. Like skydiving in Glacier. It was freaking crazy. Is it hard to appreciate it with all that adrenaline though? Um, I did the best I could right, right. to like look around because I knew that was gonna happen. And even like the instructor, his wife, she's the one that like, you know, checks you in and like does all the paperwork and stuff. Both of them were like, it's going to go so fast. Like, you know, try to take it in, make sure you look around, so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I did I did my best to like to, to, to look around. I'll tell you the coolest thing I saw. So there's um, Lake McDonald in Glacier National Park. Right. And you could see it over over the mountain. Yeah. And like as I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, there's Lake McDonald. There's Lake McDonald. And then like it just disappeared, you know, like the, as we fell. Right. Yeah. Um, that was pretty cool, but uh, yeah, the adrenaline is nuts. Um, it gets to a point though, man, where you're where you're free falling and like you hit that terminal velocity, 
and it feels natural, dude. Like it's really strange. Do you know what's terrifying? What's that? It's called terminal velocity. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, it feels like I was like, oh wow, like I feel like a bird. And then like you're so high up, you can't. There's no perspective on really how fast you're falling. Right. So it's it really it really was like a really pleasurable experience. And then when we landed, um. Yeah, my head was like v- buzzing, dude. It was so mm. like now I know where the term buzzing comes from. Like my head was literally, <laughs> yeah, like I was literally buzzed, like vibrating, vibrating, dude. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot smoother than I thought. Too, I thought like when the shoot came out, it'd be like this really, you know, crazy like whiplash jerk. It but wasn't. It, <clears throat> not at all, man. It was man. really smooth. The whole the whole process was smooth. It was uh, skydive whitefish. Um, if you're gonna skydive only one time in your life. Yeah. I would recommend coming out to Montana and doing it in Glacier. It was I can't imagine a better place to skydive. And it was like a perfectly clear day. It was beautiful, man. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of skydiving, we're skydiving in the Salt Lake City, Denver, <laughs> and Phoenix. <laughs> now, we do have, nice uh, transition, best friend. We're, we're going uh, well skydiving in the mountains. We're yes. metaphorically skydiving into the mountain states. We'll be in Salt Lake City. Uh, plenty of tickets left in Salt Lake, surprisingly. Usually, uh, on the last several tours we've been on, Salt Lake City has sold out first almost every time. But mm. uh, we, we've got plenty of tickets left there. Come on out, Salt Lake City. Denver, Ryan, they, they are almost sold out. And then Phoenix, uh, we're going to have a special guest in Phoenix. Our friend Joshua Becker is going to be over in, in Phoenix with us from uh, awesome. Becoming Minimalist. And then from there, we're headed down to Texas, Austin, Texas. I think Austin is sold out. If not, there might be like, I don't know, three or four tickets left. Uh, Dallas and Houston after that. It's going to be awesome. And then we're going to be in Nashville, Tennessee after that. I'm really looking forward to Nashville, man. Man, Griffin House is going to be there. He's going <clears> to <throat> open up the show. He's going to open music. for us. Our buddy Adam lives there. Yeah. He's going to take some pictures for us. Um, what else? Uh, Our buddy Austin Hartley Leonard lives there. Hopefully he's going to come out. Oh, did he move? Yeah, he moved out there oh, uh, a year or so ago. He just had a second kid. <clears throat> Um, That's he's awesome. A very talented. No, what else is a barista parlor, right? Yeah, I'm just called barista. Barista. Right? Yeah, barista parlor. No, it's barista parlor. You're right. Is it barista parlor? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. Coffee shop. Really good coffee shop. So we'll be in Nashville, and then from there, Washington D.C., Atlanta, and Tampa. Has Atlanta sold out yet? Uh, no, Atlanta has not. They're, I am they're, shocked. There, well, there's still some. It's a big theater, and same Washington D.C. It's a huge theater. Yeah. Uh, oh, our friend Cal Newport is going to be in D.C. and in, in D.C. and then Atlanta. It's going to be JP Sears. Dude, I cannot wait. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. Oh, my God. It's going to be awesome or it's going to be a disaster. You know, and, and <laughs> <laughs> no, or I think, it could be both. No, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome disaster. Yeah, JP Sears is great. He does a really great uh, parody videos called Ultra Spiritual. So I think he's just going to spend 90 minutes making fun of us on stage. Yes. So and like, all the ironies of minimalism and... Yeah, enjoy yes. that. Yeah. And then uh, in Tampa, we should ask uh, Seth's band, uh, our friend Seth, uh, Bro- Brother Cephas. Their new EP just came out called Not That Important, yeah. and it's really good. We should ask them to open up for us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure they could do like an acoustic set or I'm something. I'm sure they'd be willing and, to. And him and his brother. Um, They're not really an acoustic. No, they do great. I mean, I, have you heard them play acoustically? I haven't. It's Weaver was really saying they really good, don't man. do that. Awesome. They're really good. Yeah, it'd be um, great to have them. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to him and ask him. And then we're finishing the tour. In December, in Detroit and Milwaukee. <laughs> the two best cities to be in during the winter time. Yes, exactly. So I'm making sure that I bring my, my biggest coat that I have, 
We'll be in Detroit and Milwaukee. But I should, shouldn't say we're ending the tour then because in the spring we'll be headed over to Australia, announcing those dates really soon. <laughs> I just love how like I always I always think like, oh man, this is probably going to be our last tour. <laughs> like it just, oh, we just keep adding on, which is, it's a great thing. I, I love going on tour. Don't get me wrong. And now that like Mariah doesn't work and she can come with us to a lot of these places, like it helps. It helps a lot. Yeah, it makes and, a lot more fun. You know what's what's really nice about this? We figured out a good pattern as well, so we don't stay out touring perpetually. We're doing 40 cities this year, but we never do more than four at a time. So we'll go out for three or four cities. We call it a wave of cities. So for example, when we go to the East Coast, we have three stops in New York and one stop in Philadelphia. It's four cities. And then we fly back home for a couple weeks. And then we go out to Salt Lake City, Denver, and Phoenix in Mm. those three cities. And then we're back home for three weeks after that, I think. And then we go out to Texas for three cities and then we come back and so we figure out a way to to make it work so that we're not on the road perpetually Mm -hmm. but still get enough cities in there that uh, we can we can see a lot of our audience and Mm -hmm. maybe next year we'll make it over to Europe I mean we have a huge audience in in Germany and obviously London UK and and some other places we should look into that Tokyo would be awesome to do a stop there yeah yeah and the rest of Europe (laughs) (laughs) no you just got me thinking we could go on like a world tour next year anyway (laughs) yeah so uh, stay tuned to that you can find all the tickets cities dates theaters all that fun stuff at lessisnow.com what else we have going on I mentioned the the nightline thing we did the uh, the house tour oh let Uh, me finish uh, real quick about Germany oh okay so yeah so Berlin was great so uh, the the meetup was great coffee shop was great the owner was awesome and then, and then Mariah and I took a train to Munich. Mm. Didn't get off at the right stop. Oh no! Ended up making our train ride like an extra three hours long. It was fine. It was just we're just dumb Americans. <laughs> um, but yeah, the train ride uh, novelty. It was beautiful. Really enjoyed it. But it's cheaper to fly and it's faster. Yeah, I just took a train because we had the time and. I've never taken a train in Europe before. It was worth it, like for the one-time experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got to Munich, and then that, my 15-year-old self would have been bored as hell, man, in Munich, because it was my grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, Mariah and I, uh, oh, and also my my uh, step-grandfather, so my Oma and Opa, for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the six of us going around, and my Oma showing me her friends, uh, all of them like owned all of her friends that she was introducing us to own these gust houses, which are basically inns. Uh-huh. It's like they have a few rooms to sleep in. They always have beer and maybe some food, maybe like, like so a, most of them don't a have B and B kind of. Yeah. Thing. Like most of them didn't have food. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was just like watching my grand, my, my grandma, my Oma talk German to all her friends. And, but like, so my 15 year old self, I would have been like, Oh my God, like, is this, is this all we're going to do today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my 35 year old, when are we self, skateboarding? Right. Exactly. Like my 35 year old self, it was so awesome to like, see her reminiscing with her friends and, and just knowing that like, this is probably the last time, um, that she'll she's, make it over. Germany. Yeah. That she's going to go to Germany. Yeah. She's in her eighties. Yeah. And yeah, she's, she just turned 82 this year <clears throat> in February. And then, um, you know, she showed us like where her house was, where she grew up in, uh, the bomb shelter she used to run into, um, you know, during the, uh, when the sirens would go off, um, the school she went to, like where she would walk from school to home, the farmhouse dude. So she worked at seven years old, man. She talked this farmer into hiring her to work on the farm. 
and she was telling me how like the pitchfork was twice the size of her and she's like looking back she's like i have no idea how i was able to like manage that yeah but like she had to step up i mean her mom uh like temporarily gave her up to a foster home her and her sister because she like hurt her back or something and couldn't work right so she couldn't provide for the kids so like she had to put them off on the state to take care of for a few years and yeah it's just really really crazy crazy upbringing but like you know, this is actually maybe a good segue to our uh, our, our topic for this podcast. With the nostalgia part? Yeah, like yeah. it was really awesome, like being there and watching her get nostalgic, mm. um, watching her feel nostalgic, and then that kind of, you know, transferring over to me and, and me even getting to the, I've never been there, but I was like, wow, like this is really cool, like meeting. We went to the farm that she worked at and like talked to the, um, I guess it was the the kids, that she grew up with, um, uh, it was it was those kids' parents who owned the farm that she worked for, or whatever. But, but yeah, it was great, man. Um, so I'm sorry I did not uh, to all those in Munich who were hoping I would do a spontaneous meetup down there. Sorry I didn't get to it. But well, like hopefully every, we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there next. We'll year, get there maybe. next year. But yeah, every single day, like it was my it, it was hanging with my my family, and um, yeah, I just wanted to make the most of that time with my grandma in Germany, and it was it was great. We went to Munich. Munich is a beautiful city. But yeah. Um, I definitely got a nostalgic feeling being there, and mm. uh, which is weird because it's a, that's almost like a false nostalgia because you've never been there before. Yeah, it was really strange. Like what? Like her nostalgia was like rubbing off on me. Yeah, and so and so let's let's talk about nostalgia. Um, I wrote an essay recently called "Nostalgia is Dangerous," and it, mm-hmm. to me, it was a fairly innocuous sort of statement. Are you gonna read that? Yeah, yeah, we can actually. Uh, it. it might make sense during one of the questions, but uh, we can okay. talk about it real quick. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, I'll read it. But before we before we do that, uh, a couple other things. We'll just finish out the right here, right now segment. I wrote an essay called "Keep Travel Simple." So, Ryan, you and I are um, for the first time we are putting our name on a physical good, which hypocrites. I know, right? Um, <laughs> no, and it was a hard decision to to really do it. And so I wrote about why we decided to do that. I've had. Probably over a thousand people, certainly hundreds of people, but mm. probably over a thousand people at this point ask about the damn bag that I carry in the documentary. Hey, great documentary. Where can I buy that bag? Yeah. Hey, where can I buy something? Uh, your, your documentary inspired me to buy something. That's how I felt at first. But then I realized yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. It is, it's the one item that adds more value to my life than anything else because of the amount that we, that we travel. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so... Um, it's a great bag, and it's made by a guy named Malcolm Fontier, or at least it was made by a guy named Malcolm Fontier, and he stopped making bags in 2012. Well, I, after the documentary came out, and uh, Ryan, you and I, we did a video called Pack Like the Minimalists. It's on our, our YouTube channel, yeah. uh, youtube.com slash the minimalists. <laughs> and uh, we show how we pack for a 10-month trip when we were on tour in 2014. And everything that I packed for a 10-month trip was in this shoulder bag, basically. It's, you know, it's a duffel bag that also functions like a suitcase. It's a duffel bag suitcase. It's neither a duffel bag nor a suitcase. And it, it, it's the best bag I've ever used. And I've tried other bags afterward because this thing, I've been using it for six years now. Mm-hmm. And I've beaten the hell out of it into hundreds of cities. And I know at some point it's going to... It's going to disintegrate because mm-hmm. I've beaten it so much. It's still ticking. Um, but I've looked for other bags as well, and I've never found anything that's come close for me. Now, I'm not saying it's the appropriate bag for everyone else, but I've had so many people reach out. And then Malcolm Fontier reached out, and he said, hey, how about – I've had so much, so yeah, much interest in this. If we in got 1,000 – yeah, 
inquiries and he got 500 or another thousand inquiries. Right, yeah. right, right. And so he's had a bunch of people reach out to him. And the thing is, it was a very limited run bag at first. He he only made 300 ever. Right. There's 300 in existence. And so when me, you, and Colin all had one, we were on tour in 2012. Was like a, that was 1% of the bags. We had 1% <laughs> of the bags in our trunk, not even knowing that we did. And anyway, we decided after a lot of talk together to partner with him. He's starting a new bag company called Packed Bags, P-A-K-T, yeah. Bags. And you can find the essay that I wrote called Keep Travel Simple. And also, uh, he's doing a Kickstarter for these bags to see what the interest actually is if people are interested in it right. uh, at PackedBags.com, P-A-K-T Bags.com. Sean, if you can put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, just a word of warning. You probably don't need a new bag, and we're not trying no. to to push a new bag onto you. That's certainly not our message. But you if know, you, well, it, I was going to say, I, I think like someone who needs the bag, well, well, first off, you don't need a bag. Like The bag will help your travels well, be Well, at some easier. point you need a bag if you don't have course, a bag Yeah, of course. Right. But like I think about um, Mariah right now who has a like my old Mission Workshop bag. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. But it, it's miserable for her. Right. And I love Mission like, Workshop. It's not, it's not this oh, Mission The pants yes. I'm wearing right now are Mission Workshop. Oh, yeah. I'm they're, not talking about a great company. Mission. Dude, the, the backpack is amazing. Like, it is, um, it's waterproof. Uh, I think it's like 40 liters. It holds a ton of stuff. And that's part of the problem. Right. And that's, that's kind of it. But um, so, yeah, this is not a knock on Mission Workshop. They're a great company. Um, but for Mariah, that particular style of bag, it's miserable for her. Like, she doesn't, like, if she's got to get something. Yeah out on the plane and it's at the bottom of the bag yeah she has to unpack everything to get to the bottom <laughs> so does she need a new bag no um but like i know that this bag will significantly help her be less stressed when she is traveling and that's the thing i like about it it's a it's a very unisex bag i mean in fact uh, so he's doing three colors of it this time uh a black one a like gray slate one and then the, the biggest request has been for navy blue, which hmm. was shocking to me. And so um, I guess he's going to do a navy blue one as well. But what you're saying actually reminded me of, I'll just read an excerpt from this, this Keep Travel Simple essay. Uh, because it's exactly the, 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 the dilemma that Mariah is in right now was the same exact dilemma I was in before mm -hmm. I, I found the bag that was appropriate for me. Right. And so uh, the essay starts like this. When I started traveling more frequently near, nearly a decade ago, I quickly realized my overstuffed suitcase would no longer cut it. It was bulky. That's her problem, right? Mm -hmm. It was ugly. She doesn't have that problem. But I had you know one of those giant, ugly Samsonite suitcases. Um, the, it was like you know weird and, and way too big and it didn't fit in the overhead bin uh she might have that problem on some airplanes absolutely that, that big that yeah big that's backpack. a great no it absolutely is like she nine times out of ten has to gate check it oh yeah so yeah. so i definitely don't like that and so it didn't fit in the overhead bin worst of all because my suitcase was so hulking i felt compelled to fill it with surplus travel gear so, right, because you have such a big bag, you're like, well, I might as well fill it up. I will bring this extra just-in-case item, right? I'll bring this surplus travel gear. <laughs> yes. So I have a list of some of the things I would, I would pack just in case. Unworn swimming trunks, extra tennis shoes, excess shirts and pants and accoutrements that yeah. were never meant to journey with me. Packing had become a chore. And that was true, man. I remember, I remember like having to 
allocate two or three hours to aside for packing because oh, I'm going to bring this. Oh, should I bring that? And not only was my, my bloated case a nightmare to dig through, it weighed me down literally. So if she overpacks and she has that massive backpack, yeah, it does weigh you down. Yeah. Uh, the one item that was supposed to aid my trips actually got in the way so much so that I developed an aversion to travel, dreading each trip because of the clutter I had to lug from airport to airport, hotel to hotel, city to city. So of course, I tried a slew of travel bags, none of which met my needs. They were too small or too large or too awkward, and they contained too many pockets. <laughs> Sometimes I'd find a decent bag, and it would have like 73 different hidden pockets inside. And I'm like, what is this, what is this coin purse size pocket for, and why are there six of them right. in this bag? Like, it, it never made any sense. And so... Uh, the, the, the middle of the essay says, and then my friend Colin Wright, a full-time traveler, uh, full-time minimalist traveler, visited my home for a week, toting everything he owned in one intriguing bag, the, ga- the Getaway by Malcolm Fontier. The bag itself defined categorization. It was a duffel bag, a carry-on bag, a messenger bag, and a suitcase all in one. And it was also none of these things. And that was sort of the thing that was true for me. Like the bag... It was a duffel, it was a carry-on, it was a messenger bag, it was a suitcase. It was all of those, but none of those at the same time. Its streamlined design lacked the superfluous uh, implements sported by every other bag I tried, leaving only the crucial elements for travel. A bag that looked like a casual duffel, but functioned like a suitcase. And that was really the most important thing for me. Is it was the size of a, of a duffel bag, but it carried what a suitcase would typically carry. Uh, and then I'll read this last paragraph here. Uh, and before I, you can read the rest of it, it's, it's a much longer essay. Since I purchased the Malcolm Fontier getaway six years ago, I traveled to literally hundreds of cities around the world from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon, Birmingham, Alabama to Birmingham, United Kingdom, Hollywood, Florida to Hollywood, California, and has continued to serve me as the sole bag I need for all of my travels. Best of all, this bag Worked just as well for my weekend trips as it did for my friend's year-long globe trotting. It forced me to pack only the essentials. And this was the important part, Ryan. It forced me to pack only the essentials, but without sacrificing the necessities. There was room for everything I needed for my trips and nothing extra. For me, it was the important bag. And that's the important part to know here. It, 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 doesn't, allow, it doesn't allow room for the, the surplus travel goods. Yeah, and it, for me, it was the ideal bag. And so the last paragraph, the very end paragraph of, of the essay, I'm going to skip forward here, it says this, and this is what I want everyone to keep in mind if you're considering buying this bag. Truth be told, there's a good chance you don't need a new travel bag. If you don't, please don't feel compelled to purchase one. But if you do, this is the best bag that I have ever used. That's why it's the first and only physical good that bears our name. And uh, that that's... That's what I want, want to get across here. If you're interested in it, you can find that whole essay at packedbags.com. I got to tell you, dude, the p- putting our name behind this bag feels much better than like putting our name on a t-shirt and right. selling t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, for or sure. Or like coffee. I mean, that would be... Or merch. <clears throat> yeah, right? any any type of merch. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I, I, I I totally agree 100%, man. It's I feel really good about this. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, if someone out there, if, if you got to put it on your credit card, like, don't buy it. Yeah. If you, if you don't have, you know, I don't know how much the bag's going to be, but if you don't have the money to, to, to buy the bag, I assure you your life is going to be much better without putting that debt on your credit card. Yeah. And uh, you're still going to 
be able to travel fine. Yeah, um, we always say if you if you if you had to put something on a credit card, you can't actually afford the right, thing. Right. And yeah, I think that's important, whether it's one of our books or, or anything else. Um, yeah, you can budget for it or, or, or whatever. Uh, or with one of our books, you can go to a local library and get it for free, right? Right. Uh, or if you come to one of our events, we'll give you a free book. If, yeah. If you can't ask. afford to buy one, we're yep. happy to give you a, a book for free. Uh, with this bag, it, there, uh, I know Malcolm is doing a Kickstarter campaign for it to, to really see what the interest is. Whether or not it will be available beyond the Kickstarter campaign, we're not really sure. And so that will be the one opportunity to get the bag if it's something you're interested in. But please don't feel compelled to uh, to do so. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things before we move on. I'm teaching a this is my last writing workshop of the year. It's October 22nd. Uh, it's a two hour writing workshop. If you want to learn how to write better, the the workshop is called How to Write Better, and you can find all the details to that at howtowritebetter.org. It's a distilled version of my four week class that I teach. So I teach a four week class called How to Write Better, and uh, you're able to take that at any time throughout the year. It's something that I teach and it's automated throughout the year. But uh, I also do a uh, much less expensive two-hour, one-day workshop. I, I say one day because sometimes it, it goes beyond the two hours. I try not to waste your time, obviously, but uh, I want to make sure you get as, as much value as you possibly can. So if you're looking to improve your writing skills, your blogging skills, your email or business emails, uh, you, if you want to write that first book that you've been working on, I take everything I've learned over my writing career and uh, distill it down to this workshop and try to point you in the right direction. It's broken up into four different segments, uh, everything from writing to editing to publishing and, um, and everything in between. So I hope you find value in that, howtowritebetter.org. Last thing I have here. Oh, I have two last things, uh, Ryan. <laughs> um, which it is, sounds like um, <laughs> I was with, I was at a, a, our friend's birthday party and, uh, yesterday and he's got a five-year-old yeah and she's like you know give me give me one last hug uh, yeah and then if, give me another last hug <laughs> anyway <laughs> what are your two last things uh well uh we just you know, at the end of our podcast when we do the lightning round we we have uh, minimal maxims mm -hmm. we just launched minimalmaxims.com oh, yeah. and we can thank uh jess she curates all of our minimal maxims you could find hundreds of our minimal maxims there you just go to minimalmaxims.com and it populates a new one each time you refresh it and you can share them from there. So if you enjoy the the short, pithy, 140 character answers that we give, you could find a bunch of inspirational quotes. Dude, we could sell minimal maxim calendars. <laughs> <laughs> we could sell 400 different t-shirts with our different minimal maxims oh my on God. them. Collect all 400. Sean, write this down. <laughs> We're selling out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's all free. Minimalmaxims.com. You can f find a, a, the, the selection of all of our Minimal Maxims. And it continues to grow. Thanks to Jess, who runs our, she's yeah, our social she's media awesome. manager. She is great. Couldn't do it without her. Yeah, yes, indeed. And so uh, you can actually find her on Twitter as well if you go to the bottom of Minimalmaxims.com. The last thing I have, Ryan, is Patreon. So uh, we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements. And so if you want to help support the podcast, we're also do, we're going to start doing a video version of the podcast. We need your help. We're building a podcast studio and film studio so we can do things like improve audio quality. We can take live callers on the air. We can do video version of the podcast. We can do video essays and guests. interviews and, yeah. and all kinds of interesting stuff. But we need your help for that. None of the money goes to me or Ryan. 100% of the money from our Patreon account goes to building the podcast studio so we can continue to make 
compelling, meaningful creations for you. If you want to support the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalists, or you can go to the minimalists.com. Click on the donate button there at the top. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, but also you get a bunch of stuff that no one else gets, not stuff stuff, but uh, but but creations that we've created. So we're, we're doing these quarterly live streams. We're going to be doing more of those, more than quarterly, once we once we get to our first objective of 2,000 patrons. I got to say, that live stream we did the other day Yeah. for, for our uh, patrons. Yeah. Dude, that... Because it's such a small group. Yeah, so much. I mean, there's there's only... There's it's, less than 1,000 of them it, right now. It's, it's like... it's It feels really intimate in like... I just feel like I can let little a little bit more loose on those. Yeah, it, that it was a lot of fun. So what we're doing is we're doing these live streams. We're turning those uh, podcast. Sean is editing them down into podcasts as well, and doing Patreon exclusive podcasts. We're going to do more and more of those, and who knows? Over time, we may get to down to doing that even weekly, where we're doing a special podcast just for our Patreon supporters. As we get more Patreon supporters out there, but I agree with you. It feels like we're in a room together with with these people. It's a virtual room, but we're doing this live stream. We're talking to people, and you get we're doing these these sessions called Ask the Minimalists Anything, exclusively for our Patreon supporters, and. Uh, it's a lot I, of fun. Yeah, I do feel like we can really open up. So you can actually get access to the the ones we've already recorded. We did a test live stream uh, while Ryan was in Germany. My partner, Rebecca, and I, I know many of you have been asking, when are you going to bring your partners onto the show? I think maybe Patreon is the, the great the great way to do that, where we yeah. can bring Bex and, and Mariah in here and uh, and have a lot of fun. So we just did this test live stream, and then people started asking questions. And so we had a bunch of questions. So Bex and I, while Ryan was gone, we answered a bunch of questions. And that that private podcast is also up on our Patreon page. So head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalist if you want to check out those uh, the, the recorded live streams that are already out there, the private podcasts, and any of the other Patreon-exclusive stuff that we're, we're going to be creating for our patrons. All right, Ryan, I think maybe we should start the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> we An got some voicemails later. here. We got some voicemails here. Our first voicemail is from Susan. What city is she in? She is in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. My question is about sentimental objects. Uh, to try to make a long story short, I met my husband in a bar in Georgia when I was 21. Um, I was living in Manhattan. I was just down there visiting a friend. And we really hit it off, obviously. Um, I went back to Manhattan. We were trying to plan him to come visit me. Um, but he was in the Army, and he got sent to Iraq. And he said, will you write me letters? And, of course, I did. And the whole time he was there in the invasion, we wrote letters back and forth. And I remember walking into my apartment building and how excited I would get just to, you know, open up my mailbox and see a letter from him. And we really fell in love to those letters. We've been married for 10 years. We have three-year-old twin boys. And I just know that those letters are a sentimental object I will never be able to get rid of. Like, scanning them just doesn't tell the whole story of having been from, you know, Iraq and Manhattan and back. Um, but I also know this opens us up to, like, the rabbit hole of wanting to keep you know, the, the baby clothes my sons came in, you know, came home in. Like, one was in the NICU and he was so tiny and he's a strapping, healthy boy. And, like, I have that in my dresser drawer, um, the clothes he came home in. And then, of course, it opens up to, you know, letters from other people and starting to feel guilty. And I guess my question is, um, do you make room for sentimental objects that matter a great deal? And if so, how do you kind of stop the flood of letting that 
permeate everything else in your house that you attach value to. So, Ryan, do you make room for, for sentimental items? Man, <clears throat> I mean, I have sentimental items. Um, I try to avoid ho- holding on to sentimental items as much as possible. Um, God, she's already kind of went down the rabbit hole with the letters. Yeah. So now she's like, I think her question really is, is like, okay, I've got these letters. I'm not asking how I get rid of these letters. I'm not willing to get rid of these letters. They right. had a lot of value to my life, which is great. Um, and then she's asking, well, now we've got a kid mm-hmm. and I know that I'm going to want to hang on to stuff. Like how do I keep it from, uh, from overflowing? So I, you know, I guess the first question, if I was Susan, I would ask myself, you know, how much room do I have for these things? Yeah. What's, what, what's the real cost of, right. of owning these things? Because right. the, there's no cost right now of, of the, the, the baby clothes are already paid for, right? So there's, right. No, the, the, there's no monetary cost for, for purchasing those things at this point. That's a right. sunk cost. Right. But there are other costs involved Absolutely. with that. Yeah, you're, you're the cost of, the, of, of space. Yeah. The cost of time it takes to organize these things, to take care of these things. The, the cost of, uh, well, maybe if it does get out of hand, uh, the cost of new storage space. So yeah. it could turn into a monetary cost, potentially. And, and quite often, when, I mean, I have a friend back in Cincinnati we used to work with. And I remember he and his family, like, they bought a bigger house just because they didn't have enough space for their stuff. Unbelievable. And, and they were, like, really stressed out as opposed to letting go of the stuff. It, they were able to justify having a larger mortgage being tied to more debt just because they needed more space for the stuff, which, by the way, he even acknowledged to me. He goes, I don't use most of this, but like, I just feel like we have to hang on to it, and, mm. and we just need more space. And I'm okay with I, I'm not telling everyone that they should live in a tiny house. Of course not. We don't live in tiny houses. In fact, uh, the guy from Nightline who was out at our, at our house yesterday, uh, you know, our house is maybe 1,200 square feet, uh, Bex and I, and it seems a lot more open than that, but it's not a, it's not a tiny house by any stretch. Um, but it's what's appropriate for us, mm-hmm. and we don't have um, excess storage or anything. I mean, we've got plenty of extra space that sure. we don't fill up, but I don't feel compelled to fill every corner is, is really the point. Right. And so she used the word, Ryan, that, that I try to avoid with my stuff. She, she said it has so much meaning. Or the yeah. meaning we attach to it. And, and I think that's an important... She, she's actually admitting that like the things have only as much meaning as you give them. Right. And her letters that, that were written, I understand they mean something to her. And I've, I'm not judging that at all. No. But they literally mean nothing to me. But they could mean something to me. If you allowed uh, if, them if, to. If I allowed them to. Yeah. And so w- yeah, the, the thing I always think about is when something's too precious, I try to let it go. Mm. And, and be, just because when something becomes so precious, I become attached to it in an unhealthy way. Mm. And so the thing that I would ask is, why am I giving so much meaning to these things? Because the things themselves, whether it's the letter or the baby clothes or whatever, those things don't necessarily have intrinsic meaning. They have mm. only the meaning we've placed on it. Right. And that's not in and of itself uh, unhealthy. What it is, it gets unhealthy when we give it too much meaning, too much significance, too much importance. I couldn't live without blank. Right. My life would be terrible without blank because the truth is 
No, it wouldn't. Right. Everything would be okay without those. Then the question that becomes, how do these improve my life? How do they augment my experience of mm. life? And maybe, just maybe, there's something she could do with these sentimental items that enhance her life as opposed to, because right now the, you talked about having these additional costs. The biggest additional cost she's experiencing right now is the weight they have on her mind. Yeah, They're occupying the real space, the space in her mind. She's worrying about these things. Right. She is obsessing over these things enough to, to call into a couple of random guys from Dayton, Ohio that she doesn't know <laughs> so that, so that she, we can try to help her with it. So it's, it's become enough of an issue that she's worrying and it's occupying space in her brain. So how does one find the balance between holding on to everything mm. and incinerating everything? So yeah. where's the where's the balance between that? And that that's a good question because it doesn't And that's going to be different for everyone too, right? Yeah, and often we think it's binary, right? Like right. I have to either hold on to it or I have to incinerate it, right? right. And, and the truth is, well, maybe there's something else you can do with it. With those letters, <clears throat> could you turn it into a really great art project? Yeah, a really cool this, collage or... Yeah, or, yeah. or a huge frame that you have in your bedroom that is filled with your, your favorite selection of these letters. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I do recommend, even if, if you're not going to just scan them i do recommend scanning them mm-hmm. because you're gonna it's gonna it's gonna occupy less space in your mind because you're not worrying about losing those letters anymore uh if you you and i ryan we did a scanning party people we won't rehash the whole thing you can see the scanner we use and exactly what we do with all our photos and stuff uh, the minimalists.com slash scanning we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well but um have a scanning party and go through those letters together and mm-hmm. then find the ones that evoke the most meaning and emotion when you're going through them and maybe you can turn it into some sort of art project whether you said it's a collage it could be a scrapbook mm-hmm. it could be a digital picture frame that actually it's a large they make large digital picture frames now that are eight and a half by 11 yeah and you can cycle through those letters on the digital picture frame you can set the timer so every 60 seconds it brings up a new letter and if they're private letters you can keep them in a private place just in your bedroom somewhere and and you can get more value from it that way than them just sitting in a box a shoebox in an attic or a basement yeah no i totally agree i i I think you know with susan it's i mean we're not well (laughs) we are just sharing our recipes so anything we say it's just that like it's our experience it's our ideas what we would do yeah but yeah but susan you can you know you feel free to do whatever you feel is best for you and your family if i was you i would when it comes to the baby clothes you know i would right now put a limit on so for me if it was myself my limit would be zero i'm not gonna hang on to baby clothes no me either because i find this with ella now when she grows out of something i get rid rid of of it it. but susan if you know if it's uh if it's that important to you i would i would posit that it's not as important as you think it is but um you know like i said i don't want to sit here and tell susan what she should or shouldn't do um if she's looking for some type of guidelines on how to find that balance between holding on to zero baby clothes and and then holding on to everything, I would say like figure out what that limit is right now. First off, how much space do you have to store baby clothes? And if you do have space, then limit yourself to just that space. I mean, you know, holding on to a pair of baby shoes, a onesie, like if, if that's what you want to do, great. But put those put those rules into place now. So when you do find yourself with a heap of baby clothes in a trash bag, yeah. You're not just going to take that trash bag and then put it in the closet and hold on to everything. Like right now, decide what is your limit? What do you have room for? What do you have time for? I found for with with Ella, it's actually a good 
uh, it's a good time for me to teach her as well because when she grows out of something, she knows that we go donate it. And instead of just saying we have to go donate this, we talk to her about why mm -hmm. she's donating it. Mm -hmm. And when, when she goes to the donation warehouse with us or to Goodwill and, and we're, we're donating her old clothes, she says, this is so other kids can wear it because I can't wear it anymore. She's oh, understanding awesome, that. I didn't understand that at age four. Right. But she's understanding that at age four. So it becomes this, this you know, teachable moment that that we wouldn't get otherwise if we were just clinging to her to her stuff. Ooh, that's a great point too, man. Is like so Susan, what do you want to teach your kids through this process? Oh. Like so what lesson do you want them to get out of this? Do you want them to you know uh realize that memories are inside of us and we don't have to have a bunch of physical items to remind us of those memories or um you know, do you want the lesson to be hey, it's okay to hoard whatever you want to hoard. Um, and I know Susan isn't uh, a hoarder or turning into a hoarder, but, but yes, I would ask that question too, Susan, is like, what do you want to teach your kids through this process? Susan, I'd love to give you and your husband a couple tickets to our Philadelphia event, which is in September. Sean, if you could reach out to her and uh, see if she's interested in that. For anyone else who wants to come, it's lessisnow.com. You can grab your tickets over there. Our, our next question is from... Brandy, I think. No, no, no. It's no, from, this is Trip from Trip, Oxford, Mississippi. Oxford, Mississippi. I have a small personal time capsule. It's maybe the size of two shoe boxes, and I put a lot of uh, sentimental memorabilia and photographs and stuff like that in there. And I was wondering if you guys would think that was okay because I don't necessarily look at it a lot. I don't get any immediate joy from it but whenever i have a family one day i would love to be able to show my kids like oh yeah this is what your grandmother looked like at this time um and as a college student i don't really have enough money to like scan photographs or to scan a christmas card to for me to be able to read later on to remember oh this is what my mother's handwriting looked like this is what uh, her message was to me at this time and I, I don't save everything i only save maybe two cards that I have in there or two photographs or whatever. But I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts were on like a personal time capsule. You know, it's interesting, Ryan, when, when Jake from Nightline was out at our houses yesterday, I, I have, I don't call it a personal time capsule. It's an old hat box my mom used to have with, mm -hmm. with some photographs in it. Now they're all scanned already. Yeah. Uh, but I do have, that's where the, the some f physical pictures, physical pictures. Hypocrite. I, have. I know, right? We're canceling this podcast right now. <laughs> Sean, pull the plug. <laughs> and um yeah i i've i found that yeah those those physical photos having a curated collection of physical photos yeah i can go through go through those with ella and you know she can see my mom because obviously she'll never get to meet my mom you know my mm -hmm. mom died in 2009 and ella mm -hmm. was born in 2013 and and so um i can have those physical photos there as well and and he said his time capsule um is about the size of two shoe boxes that means you have this self-imposed limitation. You can't fit. It, 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 once you get to the, to once it's full, you don't you don't go get a larger. You know, you right. don't get one. That's he didn't four say he was boxes. thinking. He had two shoe boxes and was thinking about adding a third shoe box. Right, right. right. And so uh, I find that that's great. You have this the self-imposed limitation. Yeah. And and the question is, you just said you don't really get value from it right now, but you might in some hypothetical future. And then you said, I can't afford to scan things as a college student. 
a, I'll tell you, man, a, a scanner is one of the best purchases that I've ever made. If you can't buy one, borrow one. Yes. Um, but being a college student, dude, the first thing I thought was, well, I know he has access to a scanner yeah. as a college student. Like, um, I'm sure there is a computer lab that one can go to and it probably has a scanner in there that you could, uh, scan. Like that's what I'll do is I'll scan a picture or a card and I'll email it to myself Yeah, and then file it in like I use Dropbox or, um, or I'll just keep it on my, in my Gmail and file it away. Or here's the other thing you can do. You could buy one and then use it and then sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can do that too. And you'll still get a good chunk of your money. Right. But uh, saying you can't scan it because you're a college student, that is, you're just, you're, well, you know what, with that attitude, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the truth is it, it takes up a lot of time to do it, but the scanner that we use, uh, in that, well, here, I'll just read the, the photo scanning essay because it makes sense. So the minimalists.com slash scanning, mm-hmm. uh, it, Here's how the essay starts. If you're going to ask for one physical gift this year for the holidays or your birthday, you may want to consider a good photo scanner. And then there's a link to the the Doxy scanner that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're anything like me, you've probably allowed the overstuffed boxes and albums of photos to go unchecked over the years. And now they're collecting dust in your basement or closet or just sitting there unused waiting for, quote, one day to come. One day. Two of the most dangerous words in the English language. I too held on to heaps of meaningful photos that added absolutely no value to my life because they were hidden away and the prospect of dealing with them seemed daunting, overwhelming, not worth the hassle. So I let them sit in the attic, the cupboard, the garage. Uh, Then, inspired by Ryan's packing party, I decided to throw a photo scanning party because if you put the word party at the end of anything... Ryan will show up. Woohoo! I'll bring the beer. <laughs> uh, first, I found a high-quality scanner. I could rapidly feed photo- photos and immediately save to a memory card, which I could then use a few high-res digital picture frames. You can see the digital picture frames I have there as well. Uh, so I could actually display my important photos. Plus, if anything uh, was going to happen to my home, a flood, a fire, a robbery, all my photos were saved and secured online. Thus, I'll never have to worry about losing those memories. Of course... The memories aren't in our material possessions, but I discovered a well-curated photo collection triggers all the wonderful memories of yesteryear without all the physical baggage. And so now if anything happened to those photos, Ryan, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel bad. I mean, I know they're all saved, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, And so scanning them, and I I won't read the rest of the essay. You can find that at theminimalists.com slash scanning. They can help trigger some of the memories. Absolutely. But but that's really the thing, Tripp. And by the way, you don't have to settle then just for the limitations of that shoebox. If you scan whatever you want, then you can, it's all searchable. You can say Christmas card 2016. Right. And you have it all there. It doesn't mean you'll ever access it again, but once it's up there in the cloud, you don't have to have access to it unless you really want it. Right. It's like Ryan's Instagram account. You don't have to access his Instagram account unless you really want to, but it's all there saved in the cloud if, yeah. if you want it, right? Yeah. And so speaking of which, my Germany trip is on there. If uh, <laughs> anyone out there wants to check it out, you don't have to. But if you want to access pictures of my Germany trip, you can go to my Instagram account at Ryan Nicodemus. And the last thing the trip asked is, uh, is it 
Okay. Do we absolve him of his sins? <laughs> well, we can't send you your minimal certificate just yet. <laughs> well, no, he hasn't sent us the 995. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the truth, man. It's okay. It, it's totally okay. But, for anyone but out there, it's, yeah. It's only okay if it's okay for you. Right. And guess what? It's probably not okay for you if you're calling in and asking if it's okay. <laughs> if you have to ask that question, well, yeah. it's probably not okay. I would say sometimes too, though, like people, they feel like it's okay but for some reason, they you know they think about well, what would Ryan and Josh think, mm-hmm. and would they judge me for this? Yeah. Well, you know, we don't judge anyone. If anything, we relate. Yeah, I totally identify with where you're yeah, at. Yeah, we we can identify. Yeah, we we Josh and I have been there, and you know, is if you feel like just like Josh said, if you feel like it's okay, then it's okay. The only time Josh and I would encourage you to do anything. Uh, when it comes to letting go of your material possessions is if it's stressing you out. Like if mm. there's, if you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh man, this is really stressing me out. I'm going to call Josh and Ryan and uh, put a voicemail question in to see if um, I should be stressed out or not. It, it doesn't matter what Josh and I think. If you're feeling stressed out, then that is a, that is your body telling you that something needs to change. If you feel okay with the two shoe boxes, great. Then hang on to them. Yeah. Josh and I just want y'all to be happy. That's it. Yes, we, want, indeed. we want you to live meaningful lives and uh, everyone's going to do it a little bit differently. Sean, if you could reach out to Trip and send him a copy of our book, Essential. It's 12 chapters about living an intentional life. And, and a couple of those chapters have to do with stuff. The first chapter has to do with, with minimalism. The second chapter is about material possessions. And then it goes into these 10 other areas of how to live a more intentional life. Everything from... Uh, the the digital clutter and technology mm-hmm. to relationships and everything in between. No, like uh, that. You know, it's funny. Speaking of like the time capsule and like your hat box. Yeah. So I have a um, a bag. It's like a really small, like duffel bag uh-huh. that my dad gave me with that has a bunch of my childhood pictures in it. Yeah. And um, when Nightline was there yesterday, I got it out and I opened it up. And dude, I didn't even. I don't know why I did this. Maybe just because there was room for it. But I had the, it was a complete photo album just of that trip to Hawaii that we took in our corporate days. Yeah. And I'm like, and as I'm like flipping through this photo album, I'm like, why the hell do I have a photo album? Like, <laughs> it was because, well, uh, the. It was just hidden in that bag. You didn't even know you had it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the girl um, who went to Hawaii with me, she put it together. And like gave it to me, gave it to me as a gift, and I just never removed all the pictures from it. Yeah, but yeah, it was just funny. I was just That's like, great. I have like a yeah, this photo album inside this bag of random pictures, and so I, when he left, I like took out all the pictures, <laughs> got rid of, the, <laughs> put the photo album in the donation box. Anyway, yeah. So Sean, uh, either send him the the book version, the ebook version, or uh, it's on audiobook. Now that that book's our longest audiobook. It's like six and a half hours long. Oh wow. Um, but uh, it's a really good one. It's read by Justin Malik, who is a, a talented narrator, yeah. and man, he did such a good job with with the audiobook version of yeah. Essential. He is amazing. So, so he could, yeah, he so check trip. that out. It's, if we have an Audible download code, that's probably the best way to do yeah. it. Just send him over to Audible. No, uh, I was just going to say, Trip, keep uh, keep up the good work. And, you know, for anyone else out there who's having an issue with, you know, their nostalgic items like Susan, do what Trip did and, like, limit yourself to a space and stick to that uh, to that limit. All right, let's talk to Brandy in Las Vegas. 
One of the items that I'm having a lot of trouble getting rid of is yearbooks from high school and elementary school and middle school. Uh, they're big, they're clunky, but I don't use them. I rarely go to them, but I'm just having a lot of trouble giving myself permission to let those go because they're kind of, um, they're symbols and nostalgic in a lot of ways and Almost every movie or TV show kind of goes back, and it's always nice flipping through your grandma's um, yearbook and looking at all those pictures. And It's a nice um, memory lane, but I don't want to hold on to these, so just wondering what your guys' take is. Uh, thank you. So what did she do with all those yearbooks, Millie? Incinerate them. Incinerate them today. <laughs> no, You know what's funny, man? They actually have websites now. Um, where you can go and check and see if your yearbooks are on there. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, um, oh, I can't think of a specific website. I probably should have looked one up before this. But anyway, just search for online yearbooks. Yeah. And, you know, you, like you'll get the classmates.com and stuff where um, you can get in contact with old high school friends or, you know, childhood friends, whatever they went to school with. But what they're doing now is um, you can actually choose your elementary school, choose your high school of the year, and they have yearbooks that are scanned and uploaded onto the site. I'm not saying that hers are definitely on there. But they might be. But they might be, and I yeah. would check it out. I haven't looked for mine because like, I, like, I don't really care about yeah. yearbooks personally. No, I, I, you know, I, I was showing Ella yesterday. So I was such a fat kid, and then I lost. It's weird, man. I was like, I, I, you, I had this like cycle of, I mean, I was really, I was morbidly obese in yeah. junior high. You remember this. Yeah. When we first met, I was the fattest kid in school. <laughs> uh, in, in seventh grade. With a mullet. Yeah, I had a huge mullet and a huge chin. And a <laughs> Just huge me think gut. of the glamour shot mullet pictures. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was showing Ella these pictures, and she's like, You look silly. <laughs> I did look silly. I had a mullet, and I was 215 pounds when I was 12 years old. Man. And, and then I lost a bunch of weight in high school because of, you know, I've discovered the opposite sex and, and you're like wait a minute <laughs> wait and so then i got super skinny in high school but then right after that I, I ballooned back up in my 20s after i got married i was like ah screw it like don't blame this on carrie josh <laughs> <laughs> no i'm blaming myself i, I was like well i'm I, I and honestly i didn't know much about health like i didn't know what i thought you know french fries were uh, an a ideal vegetable, vegetable. yeah and technically potatoes are a vegetable technically yeah and they're fried in vegetable oil yeah that's uh, like two servings of vegetables right there yeah, exactly if i eat my two bags of fries get my daily allotment <laughs> oh my goodness all right death anyway um yeah so i i i i had all these pictures of me like from high school i don't want to like remember all that and so so for me like also, my childhood was not a good time, man. Like at, from my mom started drinking when I was like four years old mm -hmm. and it was really downhill. By the time we were seven or eight, we were on food stamps and government assistance. And and I remember like our electricity getting turned off and just it was a terrifying time to be a kid. And so 
I, I don't I certainly don't want to be reminded of that all the time personally right. but a lot of people had really great childhoods and they want to remember that and they these photos are can be triggers and so what can you do with those books well you, you can do a few things if you if you want to incinerate them get rid of them and, and and first find a website that Ryan is mentioning here and and uh, find if they're cataloged online somewhere that's one way to do it you can also you go keep them on your bookshelf it's okay if you have a bookshelf and they're part of your curated collection yeah. that's fine if they're references for you and you're going to use them it doesn't sound like that's the case for you brandy like they're kind of in the way for you that's why you're calling in but for other people listen to this they might be fine just to hold on to it it's, it's okay to do that you don't have to get rid of it but if you do want to get rid of it, it's in the way try one dollar scan.com the number one dollar scan.com it uh, has no affiliation with us. I've never used it personally, but I've had a lot of readers tell us they have used it. They scan books. And mm -hmm. so whether it's old textbooks you want to scan or... Uh, yearbooks or whatever. Yearbooks, anything you want to scan. And then they get rid of the book for you so you don't have to. And then you have it digitally if you can't find it online already. So so that's, that's definitely something you can do. Now, she used some adjectives there. One that she used in particular was clunky. They're big, mm -hmm. clunky books. And that is a sign. So how do you describe these things that are weighing you down? Uh, sometimes it, the adjectives tell us a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Clearly, it's not adding value to her life if, it's, if she's using words like, it's clunky, mm -hmm. right? It's in the way. If, if we're talking about the books that way, they aren't, they aren't preventing the value that we think they, they might prevent. At some, uh, they, they, they might, they're not adding the value to our lives. They're preventing us from... from yeah, pursuing something that does add value yeah, to it, our lives. Yeah. And, it, there's a lot of perceived value going on here. Like she is, she's stressing herself out uh, to uh, getting rid of these things because you know, somehow that she's going to throw away her childhood or those memories or something. Right. But she's obviously, you know, feeling some stress and pain holding on to these things. Definitely. Yeah. And so how do we get rid of that pain? We need to find a way to get rid of these books. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have, to, you have to get rid of them altogether. You can get rid of them physically. You can have them scanned. You can scan them yourself. You could do something that still have access to those memory triggers, but, but not have the physical good that's clunky and in the way for you. And she used the word nostalgia, which uh, triggered a, mem a memory for me of, of the essay that I wrote recently, which triggered this whole, this whole podcast discussion here. And so I'm going to read this real quick. It's called Nostalgia is Dangerous. And now people had an adverse reaction to that. When I, when I, to me, it would seem fairly benign to say nostalgia is dangerous. That's like saying a knife is dangerous. Right. A knife is dangerous. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it is only dangerous. Mm -hmm. It means that it can be dangerous if it's if it's employed inappropriately. Right. So let's read this essay real quick. It's a pretty short one. You can find this at theminimalists.com slash nostalgia. When I traveled back to Dayton, Ohio last month on a quick break from tour, I felt revived by waves of nostalgia as I maneuvered through my hometown. Walking the downtown streets amid towering buildings glimmering in the summer sun, driving the outskirts of town through cornfields so green they appeared radioactive, passing my childhood home, inhaling the memories of adolescence. But there's a problem with nostalgia. It tells only half-truths. And thus, the full truth isn't as fragrant as my wistful remembrance. Most of those skyscrapers are abandoned. The cornfields are subsumed by cookie-cutter suburbia, and the house that raised me 
is boarded up after decades of disrepair. Nostalgia is a rose-colored rear view. Not only does it falsely represent the past, keeping us clinging to a two-dimensional version of life that didn't actually exist, it dampens the present and clouds the future. If we want things to, quote, be the way they were, or if we hope to make something, quote, great again, then we're missing out on how good this moment is and how great the future can be. Don't get me wrong. I still love my hometown. Not for what it used to be, but for what it is right now and for what the future holds. And, and I think, I think that's, that's an important thing, right? Like when I think back to my childhood, when I first, go, when I first was back in Dayton for those couple days, I did feel like, oh, it's yeah, this, this wave of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But like I said in the essay, it's kind of this two-dimensional view because my childhood was actually pretty shitty. Right. And, and you forget about that, and, and it carries forward only the things that we remember as good. And the problem with that is there's no real problem with, with remembering the good stuff. I want to remember the good stuff. Of course. But also remember... It wasn't all good back then. Mm-hmm. And if we're constantly living in the past through nostalgia, that's that line. You know, that nostalgia is a rose-colored rear view. Yeah. And it's, each, it changes the past and forgets that it isn't actually how we think it is. Yeah. I was going to say, too, and if I'm way off base, just tell me. But I was thinking that, you know, even if it, let's say it was an excellent childhood and yeah. you wanted to remember it, like it made me think of the uh the folks in high school who had like this beautiful high school um experience where you know they were you know prom king or queen or you know valedictorian yeah valedictorian star athletes but those folks after high school get so stuck mm. in the past yeah that like they never really move forward yeah you don't want the past to be the peak right exactly exactly so <clears throat> so even for you know people out there who had these amazing childhoods that's great and you do want to remember that but yeah don't let that be the peak that's a great way of saying it um yeah i, I mean when it comes to these yearbooks brandy man uh what what is it that you really want to hold on to? Because you don't want to hold on to every single page of that yearbook. Mm. Is it just the page that you're on and that some of your friends are on? Is it the page, uh, you know, in the beginning where I don't know if you did this with your yearbook. I did this in elementary school. I don't I don't think I ever got a yearbook um, after elementary school because you had to start paying for them. All right. Um, but uh, you would bring it around to your classmates and they would write like, oh, have a great summer, signed whoever. Yeah. And so like, may, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why, because it has these notes from her friends. Sure. So like what, what parts of the yearbook really make you feel nostalgic? Uh-huh. And how can you hang on to just those parts and get rid of the rest of it, essentially? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think scanning is, is a great way to do it. I think so too. And by the way, that also keeps you from from losing them if you really do want to hold on to them because it's inevitable something can happen to them Mm -hmm. or she can cut out the pages and make a you know a collage (laughs) and like do a you know a nostalgic make it useful yearbook functional yeah Yeah, make it art totally there's there's a lot of ways but uh but there's obviously something that needs to change brandy so however you decide to make those changes great we support you Brandy, I'm going to give you a copy of our book everything that remains it's my favorite thing that we've ever created it's a memoir about the five-year transition of, of me and Ryan uh, being these suit-and-tie corporate guys, but then letting go of everything, becoming minimalists, and um, 
Sean, if you could reach out to her, either give her the book, the ebook version, or it's also on audiobook on Audible as well. Um, if she wants, uh, if she wants the audiobook version, either I didn't way. find a, I didn't find a good way to. I was hoping to use this example in one of these questions. I in in the lightning round, I'm definitely not going to be able to plug it in, but I'll say one of the best. Just speaking towards nostalgia in general, one of the best ways to avoid hanging on to a lot of clutter for nostalgic reasons is to not bring it into your house. Yes. And I'll tell you, when we were in Germany, dude, the nostalgia that I felt through my grand, through my Oma, through my grandma. Nostalgia by proxy. Nostalgia by proxy. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's a terrible band name. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I was very tempted, man, to hang on. Like we went to the souvenir shop. Uh-huh. I wanted to buy a Stein. Um, I wanted to get. Was it Ben Stein? Yes. Um, I wanted to buy a Stein. I wanted to uh, get like like a magnet. I mean, I've dude, I haven't desired to have a magnet. I can't even tell you one. But like, I saw a magnet. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And I'm like, no, dude, like, this is it's great, and you can appreciate this moment. Yeah, I don't have to have a magnet to remind me of Lonsuit, Germany. Man, and, you're mentioning magnets right now, and the guy from from Nightline, Jake. He was asking, was there anything you had to compromise on when joining houses together? I'm like, I freaking hate refrigerator magnets. Like, I hate, <laughs> hate having magnets on the fridge. And Bex doesn't mind it. She didn't have a bunch when we first met, but she probably had close to a dozen. Sure. And and what she we did is magnets. We, yeah, we settled on one. We have one. It's a Squatch. A squatch. Yeah, Sasquatch for those of you not in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, I didn't know I didn't know that's how the cool kids were breathing Sasquatch. Yeah, you know, when we go looking for them, we go we go squatch hunting. Squatch hunting. That's funny. <laughs> no, man. but um the uh, uh it's a, a Sasquatch magnet, but what we do is we display Ella's artwork and it's another lesson for her uh because anytime she brings home a piece of artwork and she wants to put it on the fridge. She has to take down. She has to take down the other one because there's only one. So she has to make that decision, and she knows that if that one that she brought home is going up on the fridge, she has to get rid of the other one, and she has to go through the process of letting it go. Yeah, yeah. So like I was, dude, I was faced with like really like a lot of impulses to buy souvenirs, and I don't buy souvenirs, man. And I'll tell you, um, I uh, so while we were in Lonsuit, Germany, they have this parade this festival once every four years and it's basically like the reenactment of one of the princesses marrying like a duke or something but it's like a a medieval festival essentially so if if, if you've ever been to like the renaissance fair in uh i don't know what it's waynesville ohio i think yeah, is what that so. is yeah like if you've been to anything like that josh like it is it's just like that except it's on a much grander scale they do this huge parade it's way more dramatic. and it lasts a month long yeah um, but while we were, while we were there, um, you're allowed to like drink on the streets and stuff, but they don't allow any glass because, um, it's so many people like you have to have a cup essentially. Yeah. So they had these really, really cool copper cups that they were selling and I bought one. It was like a pint size. And then, uh, Mariah bought one. It was, um, maybe like a half pint size and uh, that's what we would put drinks in and we would, um, you know, uh, during the festival, we could use that to drink out of, um, when we were at the hotel, 
like I had no idea. I was like, oh wow, this is really, really handy. Like I got this this portable collapsible water bottle. Right. But it's kind of a pain in the butt to drink out of all the time, especially like in the middle of the night if you're reaching for <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> yeah, do like so the cup, I mean it it actually was very, very functional. Uh-huh. And it was a cool copper cup. And I was like, man, I'm going to hold on to this. Like, I'm going to bring it. It had the, la- the lawn suit um, coat of arms on it. Uh-huh. And like, I was like, I'm going to bring this home. And I'm going to, like, this is going to be, like, my first souvenir that, you know, I really hold on to. It becomes, a f- it becomes more than a souvenir, though. Yeah. Uh, but- the, the term souvenir is sort of steeped in, in this meaning that, it has virtually no function. Right. Yeah, no, it, it was functional. But you know what? My aunt, they were kind of, they weren't like super expensive. They were, they were, but they were enough. Like it was, you know, a couple $20 bills or 20 euro bills. Like you uh-huh. got to drop on it. And my aunt, she like loved the cup, but she didn't want to spend the money. Right. Like she had, you know, her and my uncle had budgeted for their trip. This was not in the budget. So before I left, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to do this exercise and give my aunt this cup because I don't want to open up that can of worms. Like, I do not want to go down that road, even though I could totally talk myself into this being functional, me having memories of it. And plus, Mariah had hers, and I knew Mariah was going to hold on to hers. So I was like, you know what? Like, I mean, it wasn't nearly as cool as mine. I I don't think so. Um, But still, something there functional. And Mariah, she did keep hers when we have it, but I gave that to my aunt. And like the joy she got from me giving that to her was like, more than the function that you'll get from Oh her. yeah, way yeah. more, man. And like I feel I I just feel good that like I'm not reliant on having a physical item to to feel that nostalgia. Yeah. Like I mean talking about this trip, dude, like it and I'm not looking at any pictures or anything. Like just talking about it is making me feel really warm and fuzzy. Yeah. So, um, you know, just not bringing stuff home like that's going to help that's going to kill 99% of the the problems that people are facing with nostalgic items is like stop making things nostalgic (laughs) or you know don't don't bring things into your house that you know you're going to feel nostalgic about because as soon as it's in your house it's going to be even harder to get rid of yeah the the easiest way to let go is not bring it in in the first place right absolutely all right y'all we'd love to hear what you have to say so if you have a comment or a tip about nostalgia or sentimental items or or anything we've talked about today including any advice for any of our callers today then leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839 you can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We will air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. All right, Josh, you know what time it is? What time is it? It is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalist lightning round where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at The Minimalists on all three platforms. During the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short shareable less than 140 character response we also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like and you can also find all of our minimal maxims now at minimalmaxims.com all right our first question is from brocchini martini no it's brocchini brocchini martini (laughs) yep oh my goodness I, looking at these, the next name. Did you just mess with me with names on this? <laughs> no. Okay. 
on to so i i listened to uh it's funny um chris Chris his podcast called congratulations yeah he he uh he answers like twitter questions at the end and when someone has a like a silly uh twitter name like brokini martini he's like okay this one questions from brokini martini change it Every time he gets one of these ridiculous... <laughs> change it. Change it. Get a new Twitter name. Maybe that's the real name. Yeah, it's like at Ryan Nicodemus 69. Change it. Change it. Yeah. All right. Brokini Martini wants to know, do you think nostalgia has a purpose? Is there a healthy form of nostalgia or is it inherently useless to hold on to the past? All right. My short answer is, here's my minimal maxim. Many things are both useful and dangerous. An automobile is useful. An automobile is dangerous. Likewise for nostalgia. Ooh, word spoken true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my short answer is memories exist with or without a physical item in hand. Don't use nostalgia as an excuse to hoard. So good. Our next question is from are you sure you're not messing with me on names <laughs> <laughs> Irdwena change it <laughs> I'm just kidding that's her actual name I know I'm just I'm joking it's a very beautiful name I am just projecting uh, that I cannot pronounce their name correctly it's like in Germany uh-huh. um, my uh, Oma and Opa and my aunt and uncle they're staying with uh, my Oma's friend He's like the master yodeler in town. Oh, I didn't even tell you about that. He gave us like our own personal. He has a recording studio in the basement. Uh huh. Um, you can find him on uh, on uh, uh, iTunes. Actually, I'll I'll save that for the for the recommended section. Oh my goodness. I'll recommend it because it's dude. It is great. What I realized about yodeling, especially because it's in German, like I can totally just like zone out, and it's like a pleasant. It's pleasant music to listen to, and really? I can't. But I can't it's really pleasant? make the words. I love it, dude. Yeah. Okay. I don't know, maybe that's just like the the German that I have in me. Or maybe it, it does feel nostalgic too. But anyway, um, his name was Richard Brendel. And his name's not Richard though. It's like Richard. Like it's, you know, like I can't pronounce it the way that that <laughs> they like pronounce it in German. Language. Yeah. But I found that a lot with um, a lot of German names. Like the, the guy at the hotel's name was Stefan, but that is not how he was like, just call me Stefan. But he, like the way he was saying it, he yeah, couldn't you, pronounce it. So yeah. you, you couldn't manipul- yes, manipulate. Yes, uh, no offense correctly. to uh, Irduena. I am just like I said, projecting my insecurity that I can't. Well, what's her question? Names. Oh yeah, she did have a question. She said, "I would hashtag ask the minimalists how they interpret the impact of nostalgia on historical awareness and how minimalism might change that in the future." Well, my answer is is a line from the essay that I read about nostalgia is dangerous, and it's just a it's a short line. It was my favorite line from that essay. Nostalgia is a rose-colored rear view, and if I were to just expand on that briefly, uh, I, I would just say that um, yeah, it, when we look when we look backward, we need to make sure we're taking full account of the past. So. Nostalgia is different from history. Yeah, right? and make sure you're not looking backward as you're walking forward. Oh, my gosh. Is that your maxim? <laughs> what, what's your answer? Uh, my answer is the past shapes our present, but does not ever equal our future. Mm. 
Yeah, I think I think it's true. It's a it can be a good indicator of the future, but it doesn't equal the future. We don't have to right. succumb to the past uh, when we're planning our future. All right, David, change it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, David. It's a lovely name. Uh, David writes in: Does nostalgia have a place in today's world? Well, my my answer. This sounds like a, a tautology, but I think it's true. Uh, everything in today's world has a place in today's world. The question then is, what will we choose to be nostalgic for in tomorrow's world? <laughs> stop it. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. I'll stop snapping into the microphone. Um, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I agree with you because you're my best friend. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there are some things and today's world that there are not places for but i just meant literally like no, yeah, everything in today's saying. world literally saying. has a place in today's world <laughs> but but the, the yeah his question was more about like no like, absolutely uh, yeah. like should it be here and that's a different question yeah definitely okay um my short answer is this miss miss <laughs> let me start over my short answer is this uh, yes. <laughs> nostalgia can make us feel warm and fuzzy when one feels stressed over the nostalgic items they hold on to, it's time to let go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's important. When you, when you look back and you're like, these things aren't adding any value to my life whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They're stressing me out, but they're supposed to make me feel good and they're mm -hmm. doing the opposite. Man, that is a key indicator that I should head for the hills. Get yes. rid of this stuff. Yes, absolutely. All right, y'all. Well, you know what? It's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. And I've got a few things. I'm, I know I'm late to the game on this, but we haven't recorded a podcast together in studio in a while. Uh, Jay-Z's new album, 444. Oh, yeah, it's good. Man, it is so... It's like... it's Finally, it's like what I hoped he, he would do with his last album. It's like grown up and introspective and it's critiquing his past life in a way that it's sort of the opposite of nostalgia where he's looking back and saying, man, here are the things I messed up with, you know, and, and he's critiquing the sort of cultural trends when you see people talking on their money phones on on instagram or whatever yeah. and uh he's he's sort of critiquing the uh the vapidity of consumer culture which he fully acknowledges that he was a part of and he talks about investing in the future and different ways to invest and man i found that it was like grown-up mature hip-hop that i had not heard before from certainly from jay-z it, it was still Jay-Z, but it was, it was also a beautiful album. It was the first time he used one producer on the entire album. This is his 13th studio album. He used the same producer on, on every track of, of the album. And that added this cohesion that you wouldn't otherwise experience. It didn't have any like standout hit singles or anything like that. Mm -mm. It was an album that was meant to actually be an album. And I'm an album kind of guy. I, like, I don't like listening to singles. I like listening to a, a cohesive body of work and appreciating that for what it was. And man, he did a great job. And also, by the way, he, he acknowledges you know, cheating on his wife and ha does a whole song apologizing and, uh, to, to Beyonce. And it's, I thought it was really powerful, man. And, and uh, it was almost like a response to her. And it, was, and it wasn't a cop-out. It was... It was owning up to indiscretions and 
just terrible behaviors from yesteryear and and not wanting the future to be like the past so it was the opposite of nostalgia not wanting he wanted his future to be better than his past yeah and and i mean think if you take anything from this episode it's not wanting the future to be like the past it's wanting the future to be better than the past Amen. And, and aspiring to have a better future <laughs> ryan ryan's getting ready to start snapping uh, a, a couple other uh, recommendations real quick um I binge watched last month a TV show called Billions. Have you heard of this show? Billions? Yeah, Billions. No. It's sort of like The Sopranos, if Tony Soprano was a Wall Street guy, where like the bad guy is the good guy of the show. Like he mm -hmm. becomes the protagonist, even though in real life he's the antagonist. Anyway, um, it's called Billions, and I binge watched the first two seasons. And there are parts of it where the writing is so like overwrought and like it would make a really good novel, but it doesn't work perfectly in a TV show. But for mm. some reason, I loved it because the lines were, the dialogue was so over the top. Yeah. There was something I loved about this, these like little pithy lines that you and I would never say to each other because it, it takes a whole team of writers to craft a line as clever as that. But uh, there was something I loved about it in the show and something I loved about the aesthetics of the show as well. And there was also this dynamic between the, the two main characters, one the, the good guys played by Paul Giamatti and um, uh, the bad guy is um, uh, named uh, uh, Axelrod. Mm. He, uh, and his firm is called Axe Capital. But anyway, uh, there's this dynamic, this tension between the two of them. It's really great and it's a, it's a great show. An app I have to recommend to you specifically, Ryan, but I will recommend this to anyone so far. I've been using it for over a month and it's called uh, Robo Killer. And they, I think it charges a couple bucks a month to use it, but it kills robots. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's do, gonna be really important. Do, when you, this. do you have a problem with robots infesting your home? That's really important. Get the Robo Killer app. No, what it does is- With the I, AI stuff on the, on the uprise. Yeah, on the horizon. <laughs> you know, the, this, this has nothing to do with this. It has to do with, with getting these damn automated calls from, hi, this is blah, blah, blah from credit services. No way, dude. In the last month, I have not had a single call because of the robot or the robo killer app. Oh, we'll dude. put a link to it. It's I totally hate screening my phone the, calls, the, man. It's like you, well, I, have to, I don't know who me. gives out my phone number. It, it Stop giving out my phone me. number. It blocks them. It has a list of like hundreds of thousands of phone numbers that are blocked. You can accept them if you want, but it does such a great job of screening out the nonsense and it still lets the regular calls dude, get through. I still through. get phone calls for like a, I had like a 2000 and I want to say seven, like Toyota Avalon. Mm-hmm. I still get, I don't even own that car anymore. I still get calls like, hey, you should extend your warranty. Yeah, you, you won't anymore, I don't think. I mean, so their claim is that it eliminates something like 85 or 90% of wow. of these in the first month. Wow. So it learns your call patterns as mm. well, and then it starts to filter them out accordingly. You can also add people to the list if you, you're like, if it does get through and you're like, I don't, yes, you had my phone number and I gave it to you at one point, but I don't want you to have it anymore. You're blocked. Yeah. And uh, it, will, it will never even get through to your phone as a missed call. That's um, awesome. And it will tell you which number's blocks as well. So it's, it's a really good app for me so far. If that changes, I will let you all know. And the last thing I want to recommend is another album. Actually, it's an EP. They just call it a collection. It's six songs by our friends in the band Brother Cephas. It is a collection. It's on Spotify and iTunes and Apple Music and uh, everywhere else you, you listen to music. It's called Not That Important. And hmm. 
I think today, maybe we end the show at the very end. We'll put uh, the single from that. It's called Toxic Slip. And it is, it, the song's actually been stuck in my head all morning because I was listening to it yesterday. And uh, I woke up with the song in my head today. So it's a great album, great song by our friends uh, in the band Brother Cephas. Let's put a link to that in the show notes as well. Ryan, what's been adding value to your life recently? Man, I've got a few things. Um, I binge watched Rick and Morty. When I was in, I've never heard of it. What is in it? Germany? I don't know if you'd like it, dude. It is. It's a cartoon, um, but it's like. Uh, let me just give you the preface of it. Okay. So you got a family of four: uh, husband, wife, their two kids, uh, son and daughter. Uh huh. You have the mother's father. Yeah. Who lives with them, and he's like this drunken mad scientist. Uh huh. And him and his grandson. Uh, is this relatively new? Morty. No, okay. no, it's been out for a while, but there's there's only two seasons. The third season is supposed to come out this year. They've already released. They released the uh, first episode of season three on April Fool's Day. How funny is that, dude? I was like, <laughs> that's actually pretty genius because they were like, hey, new, uh, you know, episode one is up, and of course people are thinking, oh, this is them playing an April Fool's joke, but. They actually, oh, they actually did. They actually put it out. Yeah, it was a reverse April Fool's joke. Yeah, exactly. That's so meta. Um, but it's it's a genius show, man, because it's it's hilarious. It's very vulgar, so like it's not really a kid show. Like, uh-huh. You're not gonna put even though it's gonna, a cartoon. Even though it's, it's cartoon. for adults. Yeah, it's for adults. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely PG thirteen. Um, if not R. I mean, they don't say the F word, but they say pretty much everything else. Right. Um. And then, like, just some of the prefaces behind, like, the, the some of the storylines um, for some of the episodes are a little bit vulgar. Mm. But it's so funny, dude. And it does this crazy thing where, like, it will tie in, um, like, d- different scientific theories, like, uh, um, you know, other alternate realities existing. And it's just, it's really crazy, man. So, like, it's... It's baloney for all intents and purposes. Like it is not, <laughs> this is not going to be educational, but you're going to like, people are going to get a good laugh out of it. It's entertaining. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. And it also does help you think, um, just with some like really cool science stuff. Okay. So, I mean, I guess I'll just leave it at that. I don't think you would like, I don't know. You might dude. You could give it a try. It's one of those where I put it on, um, I was trying to get over jet lag. I got up at like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I was in Berlin. Mariah was asleep. Um, I, uh, my my good good friend uh, Josh Wagner recommended this show to me, uh-huh. and I like put it on for the first episode, and like I was just kind of you know jet lagged, not really paying attention, but then like halfway through the second episode, mm. I, it finally clicked with me. I was like, like the concept of like what they were doing with the show, and I finally was able to like suspend that disbelief. Of, so it took a little while to get, yeah, to get into. It's, yeah, but it's not one of those where like you know watch you know after the first season you're gonna love it. It's like once you get the concept, you're like uh, oh. Okay. But I went back and rewatched the first episode because I, it was like it was so funny. Anyway, <laughs> um, it is hilarious. There's and there's only like 21 episodes and they're like 20 minutes a piece. Okay, I think you can find it. So it's not on Netflix. Um, it'll be on Hulu if people have Hulu. Okay. It was on Netflix in Germany. Uh, That's how I watched it. But then uh-huh. when I got back, I tried to watch reruns and I couldn't. I found it out it's on here. Hulu. Yeah. So Rick and Morty, hilarious. Oh my God, dude. So, so funny. Um, 
I'm also I'm gonna recommend skydiving, man. <laughs> like for anyone out there, do it. Like it, it well, because I'll tell you, man. When I landed, I feel like. We, are you sure I haven't talked about this on a previous podcast? I'm pretty sure I have. For anyone listening, please consult your doctor before yes, before you sky, skydive. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but what I'll say, man, is like after I landed on the ground, I had such a good feeling of like I can do anything. Like, like you know, um, writing about a certain topic or asking uh, for something from somebody or. Um, Whatever it may be, it's like all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. I just sharpened your confidence. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly, man. I was like, wait a minute. Like, I just jumped out of an airplane and I'm scared to like, you know, ask so-and-so for for this one favor. Right. Like, the worst they can do is say no. Yeah. And that's not going to kill me. It's nothing compared to jumping out of a plane. So, yeah, totally sharpened my confidence. Um, It's it's a hell of an experience, man. Uh, I I probably won't ever do it again. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't think... You know, it's something I would well, either. It's exp- yeah, it's expensive and um, it is kind of a pointless risk. If it wasn't for being in the moment in Whitefish, like I would never have planned it out. It was like a spontaneous, we did sleep on it. Like it was the next day and I was like, okay, like I still feel good about it. And yeah. Brian and his fiance want to do this. So, so yeah, I, I would, I'd, I'd say go for it for anyone out there who um, needs their confidence sharpened a little bit the only time i ever skydive is when i'm on secret government wait i'm <laughs> i've never skydived in my life no i know i know man and you I, I would suggest you do it but i know i'll never talk into it and that's okay man yeah, yeah. no seriously I, I, my, my my life insurance will not will not allow me to so it's okay yeah um, um and then uh the other thing I, I we probably have recommended this on a previous podcast but i've been doing um i've been using the brain octane from bulletproof yeah and i don't do bulletproof coffee like, it's like mct oil yeah but it's like concentrated yeah. mct oil but what i love about this the the brain octane is it will make me feel satiated mm-hmm. like a lot longer than like if i had a breakfast i'd be hungry by noon yeah but if i put a tablespoon of this in my coffee in the morning like I'm good to go to like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And when I when I feel hungry, I eat. It's not like I don't intentionally starve myself. Right. But yeah, but it like, helps extend your intermittent fasting. Yeah, absolutely. Man, and you then you gotta listen. To, so so uh, Joe Rogan just did a, a podcast episode with Dom Diagostino, who is a scientist. Um, I think it was episode nine ninety four, maybe. Uh, who he's a scientist who studies the ketogenic diet mm. with really high fat, like, like 92% of his diet is fat. Wow. And I'm, I look at him, I'm like, okay, what does the scientist guy look like? I, I, I Google his name. He looks like a Calvin Klein underwear model and he's a <laughs> scientist. Wow. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with the ketogenic diet and, and Interesting. Uh, 90% of his diet is fat. Like check it out. 8% is protein and 2% are carbs. And um, it, he goes into a lot of the details of it, which sounded crazy to me at first until he and explained it in a very scientific it, way. And it's healthy. It's, a, it's not just healthy. They're, they're using it to cure cancer in, in, really? uh, in mice right now. And they're doing some clinical trials wow. for... Uh, uh, th- they've used it to cure uh, epilepsy, terminal epilepsy wow. in people to the point where they have no epilepsy. Um, a, a bunch of other weird side effects, uh, positive side effects. It's cured sing- shingles and herpes and uh, not cured, the, but but uh, you, you no longer, do, I mean, if you have shingles, you no longer are going to 
display the 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 you still have the virus but you won't display the outward um, symptoms of it. That's amazing. Um, Y'all have to check out that. Yeah, podcast. and uh, cold sores and um, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, th- this diet is, I mean, seriously, people who have have embarked on this have um, put their cancer into remission. And and while other treatments, I mean, chemotherapy kills some people. It helps some people too. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. There's nothing. But but what he's doing is he's taking a Western medicine approach toward this, and not a a woo woo sort of Eastern. Yeah, you just fast a little bit, and no, it's <laughs> he, he's talking about macronutrient um, allocations and and uh, calorie tracking and and calorie restriction, intermittent fasting, and in a way that that will help normal people who also want to stave off cancer in the long run right and and but then also people who are predisposed for cancer mm-hmm. or other diseases uh, or epilepsy if you have seizures this uh, the ketogenic diet has has cured people of certain seizures but also pets uh, there are a lot of pets who who um, have moved over to a key the people have moved their pets to ketogenic diets to cure them of of ailments like cancers and 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 other things it's that's awesome but he backs it up with a lot of science i'll have to check it out so what is like um do you have an example of like a day in the life of someone who does a ketogenic diet like what are their meals look like throughout yeah the day? so you still have to get your your the necessary macronutrients you have to try to still consume the normal amount of calories you would which is both easier and more difficult with a high fat diet because a handful of almonds, like a big handful of almonds, 500 calories. So mm-hmm. we don't realize that, you know, I'll buy a bag of almonds on the road and not realize I just ate 2000 calories in mm. seven minutes. Mm. Right. Um, and so a lot of nuts and seeds. Um, so like, does he, does he intermittent fast as well? Or he does. Okay. He does. He does. Uh, I think twice a week. He does 20 hours of intermittent fasting twice a week, okay. but he also does long fast for seven days sometimes, but wow. that, that's different. Although long-term fasting mimics a ketogenic diet because your body starts eating fat. So the whole idea behind a ketogenic diet is, and by the way, I'm no expert on this, but your body typically, most Western diets, we, uh, most people with a Western diet, our body runs off of glucose, mm-hmm. sugars, basically, right? right? Carbs, sugar, etc. cetera. Right. And in fact, protein that you eat, turn, it, it, it turns into glucose as well. Um, and so the Western diet, it, it, we, we, which is like a, a fast energy, you know, that's why we need more and more and we, we need to eat more frequently. The reason intermittent fasting or fasting in general um, helps that you no longer feel hungry in the mornings, Ryan, is because you, you're mimicking in a way a, a part of the ketogenic diet. You're not in ketosis. Mm-hmm. You, to be in ketosis, you have to be above 0.5 milli, millimolars. Um, and the only way to test that is through through testing your blood, the blood strips. Right. Um, and, um, but, but what you're doing is when you're, you're, you, you're shifting your body to, to eat, uh, or, or to be fueled by fat. Yeah. And the things that, that he talks about is, is in radically increased mental clarity, um, through, through the ketogenic diet, the, the slaking of hunger. So you, you're no longer hungry the same way you were before, mm-hmm. but then when he does eat, it's, it's 
now he he doesn't have a because he's already in ketosis and been in ketosis for a while he has like a modified diet where it's it's probably closer to 80 percent fat which is still really high i mean so so what, what do his meals look, look like throughout the day he's not just eating nuts what's he uh, eating? nuts avocados uh sardines he does a lot of uh, canned sardines um and uh, he actually goes through it on the podcast a lot of mm. he and then he also supplements with uh, some ketones as well mm. um supplemental ketones and finds a way to still get uh, you know over 2500 calories a day wow. and, and but also you, you don't feel that same hunger anymore and uh, over time once you once your body actually starts burning only fat mm-hmm. you lose the desire for bread and pasta and all this. it doesn't even sound appetizing to you anymore wow. once you're actually in ketosis and so it's not something i've i've uh, experimented with directly i mean i'm probably pretty close to it but i certainly still fueled by glucose um but it's something i would certainly consider in the future but uh the the biggest thing for a lot of people has been weight loss you know people who are morbidly obese who uh get on a ketogenic diet you know how you see someone who is 500 pounds Mm -hmm. and then they lose all the weight and they have all this extra like floppy skin everywhere joe rogan said they look like a, a flying squirrel yes um and I still have some of that. I mean, I lost 80 pounds. And I, I have a little bit of a gut still just because, I mean, I can go out in public without a shirt on and feel okay, but I, I certainly still have some of the skin because of the way I lost it. And, but if you were on a ketogenic diet, there are examples of people who lose f- three, 400 pounds and none of that extra skin is there. The skin shrinks with it hmm. because of the way the body is burning fat instead of glucose. So you'll find, uh, I mean, I didn't mean to go down that tangent there. No, but no, it, no. Was, it was a really good episode. That sounds and, good. And I think other people might find some value in it as well. Yeah, I'll have to check it out, man. No, the, uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's move on. We well, have hold this. on. I got one oh, more thing. Oh, yeah. I, I thought you, you, already, you already talked about it. <laughs> no, I got one more. Uh, Richard Brendel. Um, so he's he's the yodel, yodeling guy. Um, I'll, I'll have a link. I'll have Sean put a link in the show notes. Uh, yeah, he's he's got like just a few things on out there in the in the streaming music world. Um, I, feel but like I love yodeling tracks. Dude, I love like walking around and just like listening to it. And I, well, I love accordion too. That's the other thing is I uh-huh. really love accordion. Anyway, so if it sounds like <laughs> something you'd be interested in, yeah, uh, look up Richard Brendel. He's, he's a pretty talented guy. All right, now. Now is time for our new segment. We're calling it Weightlifting with the Minimalists. And it's for Ryan. You, he's going to start doing bench presses right here in front of us. Ready, go. <laughs> now, that's where we, we turn to Twitter and ask, what physical item is weighing you down and why? And uh, we try to help lift the weight. We got this idea from, we, we talked earlier about Malcolm Fontier, who's working on the that bag with us. And he's like, you know, a lot of people are, with the minimalism stuff, they're asking about physical items a lot of the time. And maybe it, it would be beneficial if you started talking to people about what item right now, what one item is weighing them down. So we're at The Minimalists on Twitter, and I just asked the question this morning on Twitter. I'm going to pull one. There's a bunch of, of questions here. We won't have time to get to all of them. Maybe we'll do an overtime segment at some point uh, for our Patreon <coughs> folks. But um, we, we had some folks weigh in on what physical item is weighing you down recently and why. And this one from Julia who uh, who asked or who said, my house with a lawn is weighing me down. Mowing the yard really isn't my thing. I don't know what you would say to Julia, Ryan, but um, 
Uh, can you, I'm sorry. Can you read that one more time? Yeah, a house with a lawn is is mowing is mowing her down. Is weighing her down. A house with a lawn. Okay. Yeah. So what what's the thing that is weighing her down? It's the house with a lawn. And she said mowing is really it really isn't my thing. And for me, you know, we have a, a small, a very small lawn at our house. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, mowing isn't my thing either. And so I think there are at least two or three things you could do here. And I could tell you the three things that, that I would consider were I in your shoes. Number one is I would consider finding someone to pay to mow the lawn for me. Dude, that is actually surprisingly affordable. It really is. Because you get these guys with the you know, $80,000, 60-inch... <laughs> zero radius turn lawnmowers right like i remember when you colin and i were living uh together in missoula right we had a pretty big yard to mow yeah and we were were paying someone what like 30 bucks a month yeah it was it was pretty affordable i mean for them to come out there and get it get it done in like 10 minutes yeah 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 yeah. it was it was really quick we're like if we went and bought a push mower for a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks. Right. And then it would have taken us an hour, hour and a half to cut the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and we would have had to pay for it. And then when we left that house, we wouldn't have had something to do with Because we knew that was a short-term solution with us. We were only at that house for seven months. We didn't want to invest in a lawnmower for seven months. Right. It made sense to do it that way. But also, our time. How could, how could I spend that time? If you're spending an hour, an hour and a half mowing the lawn, what's it worth to you to get that time back? Right. And, and allocate it towards something creative or to spend time with your children. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing is you can have someone else do it if you can afford it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then what else are you going to do with that time? And that might asking that question might help you get the leverage you need. Uh, or here's the other thing. Maybe there's someone in your ho- else in your house who loves doing it. Here, here's my example. Bex loves mowing the lawn. I mean, <laughs> loves it. Like we went out and invested in a lawnmower. Like we spent awesome. a couple hundred bucks on a, a nice lawnmower and she was mowing the lawn two days ago. In fact, she, I, I kid you not, she loves mowing the lawn. She was mowing our neighbor's lawn at the same time because we have this tiny lawn. It takes her 10 minutes, if that, to mow. I mean, it's this little tiny patch of grass in the back, basically, right. that, that we play with with Ella in the backyard. But then the neighbors have the same size lot. And so they, she was over there mowing their lawn as well. Yeah. And she loves to do it. So maybe someone else in your house loves to do it. And if yeah. so, great. Because you don't love it doesn't mean that someone else doesn't love doing it. Here's yeah. the third option. Maybe the space that you're living in isn't appropriate for you. And Ryan, you live in a place, you don't have to any, any yard work right now. And that's Mm-mm. pretty awesome. You don't have to deal with it, right? Because right. there's no yard work whatsoever or the little bit of landscaping in, in the apartment complex where you are, the condo complex that you're at is, uh, is done by the, the building, the, the, the association there that they, they all take care of the, the little plants or whatever. You don't have to go water anything. And so maybe you need to live somewhere where someone else takes care of it for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's some good advice. I don't think I would add anything to that. The only thing, only other thing, maybe I was thinking, um, find like a neighbor kid mm. that could use an extra ten bucks, you know, a month or whatever, and just offer. You know, you could help. You could add value to someone else's life. Yeah, it sounds like you already have the lawnmower, so maybe right. you just have him, have him come over and mow it. Yeah, dude. When I. Um, when I would have, uh, I'm trying to think where I lived where like this would happen, like when I was married or whatever, but kids would come up like, Hey, we're shoveling driveways for 10 bucks. I used to do that, man. Yeah. My brother Jerome and I, 
we would make a hundred bucks on a weekend and that yeah. was more money than we could ever spend when we were 12 years old. Yeah. And then, it, yeah. And like to, for me to help out a little kid like that, who's out there like trying to work, like it feels good to like give them 10 bucks and absolutely. And then, Oh, by the way, my, <laughs> my driveway is shoveled now. Absolutely. So man. yeah, you could add some value to someone else's life that way. There are a bunch of other questions on here. We'll, we'll do, we'll have to do a separate segment at some point uh, over at Patreon. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what is weighing you down. We will help you lift the weight. Here's a funny one, Ryan from Matt Diavella, the director of our documentary. <laughs> He's got too much marinara sauce. I said, what's weighing you down? And he said, a 200 pound bench press with no spotter. <laughs> <laughs> man, I don't think that's true, man. I was just at the sauna with him a few days ago. We were, I was out in L.A., and, and he's out in L.A. now. Mac can bench 200 pounds. Yeah, I felt like I mean, I felt like I was being attacked by his pecs. <laughs> <laughs> that's I felt great. like his pecs were judging me. That is great, man. Sorry, Matt Diavella. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, you can hit us up at The Minimalists. Uh, let us know what's weighing you down. We'll try to help you out over on, on the Twitters. All right, Ryan. All right, well... You asked for them, so here they are. Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, this is Rob calling from Richmond, Virginia. Um, I had a comment about some of the discussions you guys had, not from any one particular podcast, regarding debt and credit cards. Um, I agree with a lot of things you guys have said about how credit cards are really bad. Obviously, credit card debt is really, really bad with the incredible interest rates and all that. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out that I haven't heard you guys discuss is the good side of using a credit card, such as the buyer protections, like where they extend your warranty or if the product is stolen. Um, for example, my dad recently rented a bike on vacation. It was stolen, and ordinarily if he paid with cash, he would have had to pay for the bike since he used his credit card. Um, the credit card company covered it, and he was not, you know, having to face a couple hundred dollars to pay for this bike. Um, things like that, you know, rewards, points, where, you know, if you're, if you know you're spending it on things that only that you can afford and you need, um, those points can be beneficial for travel, you know, cash back, things like that. So I just thought that was interesting, something to point out. Hi, this is Tracy from New Jersey, and I'm responding to Amy's dilemma with the pictures that she had from the passing of her father. This happened to us a few years ago when my husband's parents both died within a, a short span of each other, and we took all of the pictures from their home in order to try to organize them for the family. What worked really well for us is I went through the pictures instead of him because I was more dispassionate about it. Uh, the pictures didn't hold a lot of memories for me, and I think he would have agonized over each and every photo. The first thing I did is I separated any photo that didn't have people in it, and I got rid of them. My in-laws loved taking pictures of landscapes and flowers and birds, and they were beautiful, but they had no meaning to us at all. I'm sure they gave hit my in-laws great pleasure, but they didn't hold any meaning for us, so those immediately went. The pictures that were left had people in them, and I sat down with my husband and I said, identify the people so I can write it on the back. And if he didn't know who the people were, the picture went. It obviously, again, held no meaning for him. There were a few that we reached out to his siblings and said, do you know who these people are? And if we could identify them, it went into the keep pile. 
Then finally, we went to the keep pile and we looked for things that were similar. If there were 10 pictures from a party, nine of them probably went. And doing this over a period of about two weeks, we whittled the pictures down about 95%. And the ones that were left, we scanned and we made an album, uh, a digital album, and we gave a copy to each of our siblings. This worked really well. It brought up a lot of nice memories and it saved my husband the agony of going through each and every picture. And I didn't mind. So Amy, perhaps a friend or um, a relative that wasn't quite as close to your dad can help you with this and good luck to you and um, we're all we're all here for you. Hello, um, this message is for Andrew from the alignment segment. Um, my name is Janice Blackburn. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Again, this message is for Andrew from the alignment segment. Um, he was talking about donating his phones, his museum of phones, and what to do with them. I am passionate about helping people, especially people with developmental disabilities, and I do that day-to-day by working for providers that provide services. And so what my what my company does is we uh, support individuals with developmental disabilities on a daily day basis in their home, help them live on their own, and just help their quality of life, enhance their quality of life. And um, the thing about people with developmental disabilities that a lot of people don't see behind the scene is that a lot of them um, don't have a good support system. They don't have a lot of family and a lot of them can't support a job like most people, um, whether it be physical limitations or skill limitations. Um, so a lot of times they don't have money to buy things for themselves. So people with developmental disabilities is a good way to donate your items that you don't want. Um, for example, for Andrew, he was talking about his phone and how they couldn't work. I work with multiple people who are nonverbal and they use phones for communication. They'll pull up the notes in the iPhone and type in there what they want to say to you um, since they can't verbally communicate. So having an iPhone for a person for developmental disabilities goes a long way if they're nonverbal. So that might be a good place for Andrew to donate his phones. Um, other great things are like TVs, movies, um, clothing, there's really nothing that another person couldn't have. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it would be helpful to let Andrew know and other people know that a good place to donate would be people with developmental disabilities. You can look up online any provider that provides services. Um, just in Indianapolis alone, there's probably over three, maybe 500 providers. So I could only imagine what it is in only other cities that are bigger. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also leave us a, a voice memo. You can email us, podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Oh, yeah, and here is a song from Brother Cephas. It's called Toxic Slip from their new EP. It is called Not That Important. 
these drugs to make 